0: My guest today is Sunny Eaton. I didn't know Sunny until a couple of weeks ago when our paths crossed on a case. When I went to her website to get her contact information, I knew immediately I had to ask Sunny to be a guest. Her story will redefine for you the term trip of a lifetime. For about an hour and a half, Sunny and I discussed this trip. And then for about 30 minutes, we talked about current events, which in May of 2020 and June of 2020 involved the COVID-19 pandemic and the protests and riots that have erupted in the wake of George Floyd's death. Give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm sitting down today with Sunny Eaton. Sunny has been practicing law in Nashville and surrounding areas for 14 years, and uh, I recently had a case with Sunny, and I did not know her before that, and when I went to get her address off the internet, I found her webpage, and I thought, this is someone I have to talk to because Sunny has a story that is unique and interesting and uh, i'm just going to dive right in and ask her to tell you about her trip and what led to taking the trip and then what you did and what you took away from it so sunny tell us tell us about your trip
1: well hello and thank you for having me i'm really excited to do this um, I've been listening to some of your other interviews, and it's been great. It's been exciting to hear from these other lawyers that I see in the courtroom, but don't get to necessarily know on such a, a, a different level. It
0: was interesting. Oh, um, I I dropped Amanda Gentry just the other day, and someone that knows her, she reposted it, and someone that knows her, it may even be a family member, posted a comment on the on her uh, link that said, "I had no idea about that about you." And I was like, you know what? I love that that I asked her a question that got her to say something that someone that knows her yeah. well didn't know they learned something about her so
1: this is a cool format so i guess um our trip came about i say our it's my wife and i and our dog um, that went on this trip and it came about in 2015
0: now by that time you'd been practicing law for 12 or 10 or 12 years eight
1: i think eight eight, okay. eight or nine years
0: so you're like a real lawyer with a real day job And a a real real career, right?
1: A a career that a lot of people would argue was at its pinnacle. Um, You know, I I had had a great year of a lot of wins. I had this kind of crazy year where I got six different dismissals of a felony cases, including two murder cases without going to trial. That's
0: for people that aren't a lawyer. That's a that's a total victory.
1: It was it was an amazing wave to ride. Um, It was a really good year. But at the same time, the pressure was building. Yeah,
0: where do you go from there?
1: (laughs) I still don't know. But there were a couple of events that happened. So a little about my my kind of career history is I came out of law school in Washington, D.C., which was a great place to go to law school, a small public interest law school. Um, It's known to be the only non-politically neutral law school in the country. So it was a very activist courtroom oriented um, practice and came to Nashville and worked very briefly at an entertainment law firm, but that was not for me. I knew I knew in law school I wanted to be a public defender. I knew that criminal defense was my jam. And so I went on to be a public defender here in the Nashville office, which if anyone knows anything about the Nashville office, it is some of the best attorneys arguably in the country. It is a, a wonderful experience and great training.
0: Spent f- either four or six months there myself, way back in the day.
1: With Carl Dean.
0: With Carl Dean as the public defender.
1: Carl Dean ha- was not there when I started. Um, Ross Alderman was. But Ross it,
0: was his chief deputy when I got there.
1: It was still during that kind of transition time. <laughs> and
0: just to be clear, I didn't get fired in four months. I was on loan from a law firm in Nashville. This so. is not what I heard. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs>
1: um, but it, one thing about you know the public defender spirit is you at least in my office, we were almost trained to take our work home. And by that, I mean, our clients really meant something and they had names. And I am a graduate of of what at the time was the Southern Public Defender Training Center. Now it's Gideon's Promise. And that is a very in it to win it in, with every cell in your body organization. So as after I left the public defender's office, I went to work for an attorney named Rich McGee, who's a legend in his own right. I, I, uh, I
0: hope Rich will sit down with me one day.
1: He will. And when I say work for him, I meant I mean that he asked me to come rent an office in his building, which made me part of the team. Right. And I learned a tremendous amount. Um, I considered myself at the time to be a razor sharp courtroom litigator and had a lot of wins and had a lot of losses as criminal defense lawyers do. <laughs> yeah and was riding this wave, and then I, I made a mistake. And I made a mistake in taking on a very serious case for a close friend. Ooh. Yes. And Friends and
0: family law. It, if you're a young lawyer, tell them no.
1: Never, never again. Yeah. Um, because I took that case to such heart. That it kept you, me up at night for months. You lose
0: months. your objectivity, and your client is not nearly as grateful as they should be.
1: They're not, and they expect more miracles, and you right. want to provide those miracles, right?
0: Because you have to go to Thanksgiving or whatever, right? The bar or or whatever.
1: And it was one of these situations where my client, in my mind, did not meet the standard for guilt, but was charged in such a way that the risks were entirely too high to go to trial, right?
0: You get you get what you it sounds like you got what I call the the tough choice, yes, right. it's it's way better that the, the you get a plea bargain offer where it's way better than what could happen if you go to trial and lose, but not lo- but not a lovely result
1: right. And we had a sentencing hearing, and it it went horribly all the way around. And it was one of those things where at the end, my client was looking at me saying, I should have taken it to trial, and I wish you had not told me to take a deal. Um, and that hurt me because I'm not a take-a-deal lawyer. I'm a trial lawyer. That's right. what I am. But when I'm looking at someone who's close to me and I know their family and the risks involved, anyway, I took it to heart. And it definitely started a, a, a period in my life of a little bit of burnout, of just feeling exhausted with it. And so that wave, that wave I was riding wasn't quite as fun. And then something else happened. My wife developed this very, very, very rare medical condition called Eagle Syndrome. And I I won't go into all the details of it except to say that she is an incredibly high functioning adult that overnight was taken to not being able to work and seeing 29 doctors and having multiple surgeries. And when that sort of subsided.
0: Is this a life threatening thing or a life altering?
1: Um, Both, both. Actually she developed an aneurysm because of it. And so that was, we, we were kind of dealing with the fear for a while of what if this is our last day together? What if, because with an aneurysm, you just never know. Right. So we started asking ourselves those questions that you ask in the middle of the night of what if, what if she had six months to live? What if I did? What if, what if we had six months left? How would we spend that time?
0: right, slumped over your desk at the Public Defender's office?
1: (laughs) Right. Working 20 hours a day and watching TV for a couple hours before we go to bed at night? No. And that that was not the answer for us. So we started talking about what could we do. And we had watched a bunch of HBO movies on people who'd left their lives and gone to travel the world. Did you read
0: any Tim Ferriss?
1: I didn't, um, but I I read a lot of Jack Kerouac during that time. Okay, Um, Dharma
0: bombs on the road.
1: Right. And a big fan of Into the Wild and all of those. So then we got this idea that we would backpack the world. And then we started looking at each other as we learned more about that and thinking maybe we were a little too old and a little too high maintenance.
0: <laughs> and that's a little ambitious. Right. To for, for someone with a medical condition.
1: All of that. And we didn't wanna live in hostels um, with 19 year olds. So we started looking at, now we had been out of the country a couple times before that. And so we started looking at, could we just live long-term in a country? You know, Could we go live for six months in some Central American country? Maybe we could, But we would like to take our car, and we'd like to have that kind of freedom. So then we started thinking, And at the time we had Costa Rica in our minds, could we drive there? We have a dog. We'd like to take our dog. And Mexico kept getting in the way. In our minds, we were looking at the map, and we didn't know anything about anything back then. Um, And I mean, I I love to say we didn't know shit about shit. So we were too scared to go to Mexico. And that was the big roadblock. You can't drive to Costa Rica without going through Mexico.
0: A lot of Mexico. Yes. Not maybe almost all of it, but a lot of Mexico.
1: And through El Salvador and Honduras and Nicaragua and all these other places. Um, So then we started thinking, could we ship our car somewhere? Could we ship into, say, Belize and drive to Guatemala and go that way and just skip Mexico? So I I started doing a lot of research, and we got into this Facebook group um, called the Pan Am Travelers Group, and I posted about that. Has anybody shipped into Belize? I know you all drive through Mexico, but we're two women and a dog traveling by ourselves, and we don't think that's safe. And immediately I started getting messages from other women who'd done this that said missing Mexico would be a huge mistake. It was the safest of anywhere we went. You've got to go through Mexico. Just do it. You can always turn around and go home. So I started talking to Karen, my wife, about that, and at first she was absolutely not. She's a right. safety guard.
0: These, these are crazy people on Facebook.
1: Right, <laughs> we're gonna get sold into sex trafficking, and you know, we're gonna. and she's blonde and blue-eyed, you know, she's not blue-eyed, but she's blonde and green-eyed and um, stands out in a crowd. And I somehow talked her into it. Like, we're gonna try this. Let's just do it. We can start with Baja, that's Mexico 101, it's easy. Now and at it, this
0: point, have you committed to like, selling it all and, and, and going, or is this like, just a long trip?
1: Right now, it's a long trip. Okay. In fact, at this point, we were thinking three or four months, maybe, and maybe we'd that's, rent out our house. That's a long
0: trip, but okay.
1: Right. But to do it right. You know, if we're going to yeah. drive to Costa Rica, that's yeah, the idea. Yeah. It's probably,
0: if you uh, drove straight through, it's probably 10 days.
1: Right. And even just driving across to California and going that way, because we knew we didn't want to cross in Texas. So we start researching, and then we find um, this Instagram of some friends of ours now called desk to glory And that sounds good, right, doesn't it? I mean, their handle's amazing. And they had just outfitted an old truck, and they put a rooftop tent on it, and they drove through all of Central and South America. So I messaged them, and I'm like, is this real? I mean, are you guys actually doing this? Absolutely, we're doing this. So I start researching vehicles. Now, that's my wife's jam. She's a car girl. She loves everything about cars and can tell you everything about them. So we settled on a couple of different vehicles that we would look into, and we ended up deciding we would do a Land Cruiser 80 series, a 97, because that's the last year before everything went electronic, and we didn't want something that would be hard to work on or find parts for. Okay. So we outfitted this vehicle, um, sold our other vehicle. That was the first big move that we made. And outfitting a vehicle for a trip like this takes a lot. And then we started researching how to make it safe for our dog and all of these various things. And within probably two to three months, we had a fully road-ready Land Cruiser 80 with a rooftop tent. And then we started looking at the logistics financially. And you know, I know people hear lawyers, but criminal lawyers, that's not the case. <laughs> it's, a whole, <laughs> it's a whole different matter. So we didn't have the the resources. And remember, my wife had taken off all this time because of her health. So we didn't have the resources to make this work.
0: Like out of cash? Right. Okay.
1: Even at low budgets that we heard people living at, you know, $50 a day, you start adding that up. How do we do that? We still have bills. I still have student loans. We still have these other things. So then we really started again to remember what we asked. What matters to us if we had six months to live? And when we asked that question again, we realized it was not a single item in our house. And it wasn't even the house itself. And so we decided to sell it all. And we didn't want to store anything. And we committed that if we could not fit it into our vehicle, that we didn't keep it. And that's what we did. And we spent the next three months selling every single thing in the house. And six months later, we took off. And we left for California. All right,
0: so the moment in time that you, like, sign the papers and then, like, you, what, you, like, walk out to the driveway and, like, look at each other and you're like, okay, then, I, I guess we do this?
1: You have no choice then.
0: Right. You're, like, you're at least driving to, to California.
1: And and I'm a public accountability girl. I'm the (laughs) kind of girl that doesn't say something publicly without following through on it.
0: All right. So now you've you've dared yourself. You've announced this to your friends and family.
1: We've come up with a name for ourselves. You are
0: not about to get razzed for the rest of your life about the the trip that was supposed to be to Costa Rica that turned out to be like a little rock.
1: Right. And we've argued (laughs) with our family members because of Mexico. And they're all
0: thinking you're crazy.
1: They all think we're going to come back dead if we come back at all. So we decide we're going to do it and we do it. And we make it across. Now, one piece of advice that someone gave me that I blew off at the time, but stuck with me, was they said that no matter how much money you have right now, because at the time, at that moment in time, we right. had more money than we'd ever had. We just right. sold our house. It's all in cash, right? We sold a house in East Nashville. Um, and they said to me, "There will come a time that you will do anything you can for one more day on the road. That you will." work picking up trash in guatemala if it means you can afford one more day on the road and i, I blew that off no we have a s- yeah specific we have time. x
0: dollars we, yeah right. okay we got this
1: let me tell you there came a time when our trip went from three or four months to a year to two years that we would have done anything for one more day on the road because you certainly do see your money dwindle but so that's what we did we drove out get to california we were supposed to cross before in, before december I chickened out at the very last very last minute. Um, didn't want to cross the border. Our dog had gotten a tumor and we were dealing with that too and trying to decide if she was road ready. So is
0: this so like crossing the border was it like like existential or like practical? Like what was your like you're in, everything you own is now in a car. You have a bank account with X dollars in it. You have driven from East Nashville to California. Now suddenly you get, like, is this like the wedding jitters kind of thing, or what?
1: Well, A, California's beautiful. Sure. And I had not spent any real time so you, there. So maybe
0: you're thinking drive north.
1: I'm thinking we hang out in California. Okay. No one's going to try to kill us in California. <laughs> We've got enough money to hang out at the beach for a little while. Um, and it was like standing at the edge of a cliff. Okay, I wanted to climb up there to the top of this cliff, and I had this big dream in my in my mind that I would jump off and have this amazing dive. But then the reality is, what if there's a rock I don't see under the surface? Yeah, okay. And so for me, it was the, what am I doing?
0: So the moment the moment of trepidation wasn't really at the end of the driveway. The moment of trepidation was, at, was in Tijuana.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay. 100%, right. it was. Like
0: a month later.
1: So we get there and we spend, instead of two weeks in California, we spend two months.
0: <laughs> and now by this time, your wife must be thinking, okay, like... I didn't I didn't sell everything I owned to hang out in California,
1: yeah, although Karen really liked California, too. So what actually pushed us over the border was our dog because, <laughs> she had before we left she had this tumor we had removed and she was road ready but they told us you you need to get it checked one more time in a couple months before you cut down to the border so we go to this vet in San Diego and it's just a kind of a routine thing and this vet was gonna charge us like nine grand and I was freaking out this is a huge chunk of our money so I again I post on the Pan Am travelers group and they all say to me take your dog to Mexico the vet
0: in Mexico will charge a fraction
1: yes and I am this is my kid I'm not going to some Mexican vet and I don't know what they said. Just go down there. If you don't like the vet, you can drive back across the border, which had not occurred to me (laughs) that there was a way back.
0: (laughs) Like they weren't going to lock you out of the state. Right.
1: So we do it and we drive to Ensenada and that was a whole thing. It was kind of hilarious. You know, there's um, all these rules on the trip. You don't drive at night in Mexico. Now,
0: I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but questions keep popping up. So at the moment in time that you drive out of East Nashville, what is the expected duration of this trip or is there one?
1: We we had committed to not being gone longer than a year. Um, I had told my law partners. Spoiler:
0: that was, <laughs> <laughs> You were gone longer than a year.
1: Double that. Okay. Um, and I had told my law partners, and I had convinced myself that at most it would probably be around six months, but okay. that we were giving ourselves the flexibility up to a year.
0: All right. So in your mind, I'm I'm thinking six months. Maybe we go crazy and we're gone a year.
1: We told ourselves we were going to spend two weeks in Mexico. That's how long we said we were going to spend to get out of Mexico as quickly as possible. Well, six months later, on the last day of our six-month visa, we crossed over into Belize. (laughs) So that was the first we don't know shit moment, was even thinking that we would spend two weeks in this incredibly magnificent and huge country. Yeah, We spent two months in Baja before we even hit mainland Mexico. Um, but so, yeah, we get to the border. and that's Now, do the either of
0: you speak Spanish?
1: No. So I am <laughs> Puerto Rican, but I am the only member of my family who's not fluent. Much dismay to my mother. Um, but I did have enough. I've been exposed to Spanish my whole life. Okay. I, I had a better understanding, and I picked it up really quickly. All right. And at this moment in time, I have a functional level of fluency. You can ask
0: for the bathroom or the taco.
1: Or where I can find a tire repair shop okay. or something like that. Um, you know, the basics. But Karen knew nothing. And that's actually funny you say that because I had this dumb idea in my head that our need for Spanish would grow gradually as we got further and further away from the border. So I thought we had time to pick it up. You know, <laughs> It turns true,
0: out in Mexico. Turns
1: out the border agent tells us, and we've got all our paperwork organized and we're making a good show of it. And he says to us very rudely and totally rightfully, you know, we speak Spanish in Mexico. <laughs> And immediately like everywhere. Oh, and immediately I feel like the ass that is taking. Right. This the trip, arrogant
0: American. Yes,
1: who didn't bother to learn before I go down and we almost turned around. It almost freaked us out. But then again, we just remembered what everybody said and a lot of people told us just you do didn't it. have to learn know Spanish. And that was the first kindness lesson for us as well. Because one thing I will say I had no idea how not helpful a person, I thought it was a pretty helpful person. I'm not a helpful person.
0: (laughs) It turns out.
1: Mexicans are helpful people. Okay. They were endlessly patient with us and our lack of Spanish. And they would never hesitate to engage in an hour of charades and drawings and calling their cousin Jorge, who lived in New York for two months and might be able to know what we're saying. Anything they could to help us. And not once were we made to feel bad.
0: I spent the summer of 1989 in, in uh, Merida, and uh, I, love that place. I was absolutely the ugly American, unintentionally, but in retrospect, I was probably a, a terrible guest. Uh, I stayed with a the family there for the whole summer, and uh, I found that uh, you're right. They were very, even when I didn't deserve it at all, they were very kind to me, very helpful. So
1: That was our experience throughout. You so you,
0: you, the vet checks out the dog
1: the vet does one of the best examinations of our dog we've ever seen got an M, a full MRI of our dog on a Saturday morning because we were trying to, to get out of town and it was $40 we had been quoted thousands it was $40 and it was great experience and they had this opportunity where they could have really gouged us and said our dog needed things that she didn't need um, now does
0: this serve as like the assurance that you needed that it could prop that it could be okay
1: that was our first thing. So the other thing that happened while we were still in Ensenada, I mean, right there, is my wife is super accident prone and she's going to kill me for saying that. But we were in Mexico so for mine. three days. So <laughs> <It's, laughs> She's going to kill you for saying that, too. Um, we were in Mexico for three days and we were still too scared to camp. We are set up for camping, but we have not crossed that bridge yet. Okay. So we're at this hotel. No, we're at an Airbnb at this point. And my wife falls out of the front door and um, dislocates her shoulder. Oh. She actually tore her rotator cuff. And I'm thinking, well, now our trip's over.
0: Now we have to go home.
1: Right. Now we have to go home. This is a major injury. We don't even have a good story about it. It's not like we were hiking some canyon and this <laughs> happened. She fell out the front door of the Airbnb. Um, so we had to find an orthopedist and a sonata and all this. And once again, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And we had a doctor who was super on. The whole thing cost is $80. It was $80 for her x-ray and the specialist visit. And we were able to continue our trip. Um, She just had to be a little more careful. That is the moment I thought things might be okay. Yeah. Because now I know that the medical care is not as bad as I was Yeah. It's
0: not a, it's not, it is another country, but it is not a backwater of. of,
1: People are living there. Right. They're living lives. We ran into the real housewives of Ensenada having their lunch and doing their nails. You know. Um, and they,
0: have, they have cable and electricity and, yeah.
1: Right. And we didn't see cartel running the streets. I mean, this, this was just generally not our experience. Um, so we do that, and we, we finally, we were still, still too scared to camp, and then we, we tried camping for one night. And here's the thing that I didn't say. I, before this trip, had never camped before, ever.
0: <laughs> this just gets better and better. Not
1: one time in my life had I gone camping. And I had said to Karen multiple times, what if I hate it? What if I hate camping? And Karen's super laid back, and she said, well, then we'll adjust. We'll just do Airbnbs or whatever, and our trip will be shorter. Um, you know. And what ended up happening was I had posted again in some of these groups because our first camping experience was awful. I didn't know anything about our rooftop tent. It was a hassle. It was hard, and it was hot and dirty and all these things. And we met another couple who overland with their families, and we met a lot of families on the road. And they said, here, we're house-sitting up at this ranch in Baja on this mountain. Come up here, and we'll give you some Overlanding 101 for a few days. And we went up there, and the first thing they did was throw out about 70% of what we brought with us.
0: <laughs> you don't need that. You'll never need that. You're
1: never going to need that. It's making you miserable. Our car was packed to the brim. Because remember, if we if it didn't fit in our car, right. we no longer owned it. right. And we filled that car every single inch. Um, but so that was a big it was a big lesson for us, so you
0: were hoarders on the road,
1: one hundred percent until, yes, okay. until about two weeks in. And then it became an exercise in getting rid of as much as possible because
0: if you keep if you keep cramming it full, then you have to unpack it to find whatever
1: every time. In fact, for a while, other people would call our vehicle the magic exploding vehicle because you'd <laughs> go and you'd set up camp, and all of a sudden, you' got to take everything out to get to it. But we became pros at the camping really fast
0: now are there are you running across expats? Are there Americans? living this same yes. craziness as you so many okay uh
1: it's actually it's funny cuz it was one of the best things about the road is this road community and you run into the same people in different countries and you start camping with them and then you meet up with them like everybody's going to meet up in Guatemala and we're going to do these things and it's amazing it's also something else that's sort of hard to deal with um because you think you have this idea in your head like we're Indiana Jones you know, we're doing this crazy thing that nobody else then does. Then you find
0: out there's a thousand people Thousands out there doing it.
1: Thousands <laughs> of people doing it. You know, we thought we'd be the only women out there doing it, too. Yeah,
0: it turns out there's entire cottage industries catering to you.
1: Yes. And there were way more women on the road doing this than there were men. Far more.
0: What do you make of that?
1: Um, I don't know. I really don't know what to make of it. I think that... I just think women do a lot more than we think they do. And I I also think maybe not as— Do you
0: think it was that you noticed them more or that it was in fact—
1: No, there were more women on the road. Okay. There were absolutely more women on the road. More women traveling solo on the road. A lot more than I ever expected. And that that was very calming. And Baja—Baja's great for anybody to do who wants to test this out because Baja is actually most of the stereotypes of Mexico you'll find in Baja— but Baja's Mexico 101, it's, there's campsites everywhere and there are Canadian, we call them snowbirds, they are Canadian Americans who just come down for winter and they're everywhere, they're just partying for all winter long. And it's a great experience and the beaches are beautiful and you camp next to whales singing off the shore and you know, it's crazy. But then, you know, we get to, through Baja and we're pros now. We've done it for two months. And there were definitely moments where we're going, gosh, can we do this? Because Baja is very, except for a few cities, it's a little underdeveloped. It's deserts and beaches. Hard to find nice groceries. Hard to find the things that we liked. But it's beautiful. But you get to the end and you.
0: Did you find that you started to let certain, you said a minute ago that you were high high maintenance or did, that had to like give way, right?
1: It came and went. So. Okay. Baja it definitely went away because Baja was hot and it was sandy and it was the beach and so you know, there was no makeup and hair. And- yeah,
0: I remember when I got to Mexico, I was there with like, I was there with a, about 30 or 40 University of Florida students and there were about 12 of them that were like sorority girls who decided this would be their fun summer abroad. Um, but we, the, where we lived, this was 1989 in Merida, even, even affluent people did not have air conditioning in their home. Right and you're sleeping in hammocks, not because it's cool, but because it's cool. Not because it's like, not because it's fashionable, but because if you sleep on a mattress, you will sweat all night, you will not sleep. So it was about five days into the summer that the sorority girls gave up the Aquanet and the eyeshadow and just got with the plan.
1: So I will say that there came a point in our trip where we found our balance. Um, because at the very beginning, I mean, we were just thrown in, you know, it was, we were thrown in and so no, everything went out the window early on. I mean, it became hats and bandanas and it was just sweat all the time and dirt all the time. Then actually after Baja is when we started asking ourselves what we wanted out of our own trip. And we realized that our goal was not to make it as hard as possible. That's not what we wanted to do. Yeah. So we actually, at that point decided we would do 50, 50, and okay. th- we also learned then how cheap Airbnbs were, and about this magnificent thing called house sitting. And we learned about that. And were we, I mean, we did a house sit in Costa Rica for six weeks in this mansion with a pool overlooking the ocean. And it cost us nothing. <laughs> so we were learning about these different ways to kind of incorporate some of our. Standard of living into this experience because um, we would get these amazing Airbnbs for nine ten dollars a night and sometimes negotiate in Mexico you can negotiate everything so we see an Airbnb for twelve dollars and we negotiate down to eight dollars just the night.
0: just as a matter of Lawyering, right?
1: Well, <laughs> and because money means something different when right. you're on the road. Right, and when it, you have
0: a finite supply that's right? not being refreshed.
1: And it, that's a perspective thing. When I came back looking at things going, $20, that's insane. You yeah,
0: know? I'm not paying $20 for something to eat.
1: No way, but but so we um, we did all that. You know, you get bottom Baja, we're pros now, but then the fear hits all over again because now we're going to mainland Mexico, which okay. is no longer this Mexico 101. It's no longer beach. Right, it's, this it's, is where the cartels are, right? And I should mention, and this was very scary for us, but we were, this is one of the things that stalled me in California. While we were there, two surfers doing a similar trip to us were found dead with their van caught on fire in the middle of the night, very close to where the ferry for mainland Mexico lets off. And it made national news. So immediately our families are calling us you're gonna die right like, what are you doing you cannot go there it's right. not safe and we're fighting it off ourselves i mean you know it took a lot to get past those fears and now this terrible things happen and it sort of rocked the the overland traveler community and we had to really think about are we still going to do this and then people reminded us that there are thousands and thousands right. of people and right. this is one incident and it made national news because it's rare right so that is that's how we
0: see if it ourselves. happened every day it wouldn't be news every day
1: exactly so we we do what in my mind of all the things we did this was still one of the most special we took we took the trucker ferry the cargo ferry from baja to mainland mexico overnight with our vehicle it was us and 100 mexican truckers and trucks full of chickens and onions and (laughs) things like that across the sea of cortez to mainland mexico and i have never felt cooler in my life ever um it was an incredible incredible experience also, it was where I learned that the Mexican truckers themselves are not scary, as they brought us coffee and made sure we had breakfast and knew where to go to the bathroom and all those things. We get to mainland Mexico, and it was nothing I expected. I thought it was going to be more of Baja, more desert, more rusticness. It wasn't at all. You know, Mexico's... It's,
0: it's like Arizona.
1: Right. It's <laughs> modern, and there's big cities and people living their lives. Um, and it was Going
0: to the dentist.
1: All of that. Target.
0: Uh, right,
1: not Target, but there, you know, the all equivalent, those things, whatever right, the whatever yeah. the equivalent um, is. And so we did that, and then we really fell in love with Mexico because it's so different. Every part of it's different. Now along the way, it became as we're getting into month three or four, and we have not yet even come close to the end of Mexico. We started realizing that our plans weren't going to be what we thought. Um, that this was going to go on longer. That we were getting good at it. We were getting so in the groove.
0: I, like you You couldn't have had a, a tight itinerary. You were just kind of making it up.
1: We had no itinerary.
0: okay. So you just kind of you just kind of make it up. So some days you go twenty miles and some days you go two hundred.
1: No, you never go two hundred.
0: okay. you just because <laughs> right. there's stuff to do and see.
1: Well, that and driving around Mexico and Central America does have some rules, just some basic safety, and it's not really crime as much as road conditions. But you don't go too early and you don't you don't stay you don't drive at night. And we have to set up camp. And because we're in a rooftop tent, Okay, so you a have process. you have
0: like daytime and then breakdown and right. set up. So, so we never f-
1: got on the road before 9 a.m. And we always tried to stop driving by 3 so we'd have time to set up camp. So there's only so far set. you're
0: going to go in six hours. Right.
1: And you never really go fast either. I mean, it's all 30, 40 miles pretty much throughout everywhere. So it's short, very short increments. And if you want to see anything, you know. Um, so we start also realizing that we're going to have to figure out ways to, to bring in some income on the road, um, which we didn't think about, but because, and I'm worse about this than Karen. I was already in my mind picturing how we can do this forever. We can just continue (laughs) to be on the road.
0: You've bought all in
1: 100%. I am an attorney and I was looking for hostile receptionist jobs and happy about it. Um, you know, would have done anything for that $6 a day that they were, because $6 a day is another night of camping. Right Um, so we started doing that and I started trying to think of ways and to reintegrate myself with my practice at home while being in a tent in Mexico. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it worked and sometimes it just didn't. It's uh, hard to
0: be in court in Nashville when you're
1: you can't do in that. a tent in Mexico. You can't do that. But it is where I started assigning value to the name that I would built in a way that I had never even thought about before. I had never thought about the value of just my book of business. And how far I'd come in my career, and then I realized that did have value, and that there was a way that I could still bring in clients, give it to lawyers I trusted, do enough work on it ethically to justify a percentage of that. You know, I can still do client management from the road. right. Um, I can do all those things. The Internet is a beautiful thing, and it made that the Internet was actually always easy to come by. So that started working for a while. And we started making our way across and making more friends. And so we, we get to Belize and we do Belize. Belize was funny to me. It's the only place we actually felt unsafe. And it was the place everyone told us would be the safest. It's English speaking. A lot of Americans there. Is
0: it Tulum or where, where no, were No, Tulum
1: is still in Mexico, okay. but it's close. It's on the border. Okay. Um, but Belize is, um, they don't have public education in Belize by and large. And it has a lot of crime. It just does. And the other thing about Belize that's kind of funny. Everywhere else we went, when you see Americans. They would love to tell you what they're doing down there. You know, like, where are you from? They'd love to tell you. Belize, everybody got real quiet about it. No one wanted you to ask about where they were from. Huh. It's a non-extradition country. Ah, uh, OK. Totally different atmosphere. Right. I'm, I'm,
0: yeah, I didn't come here for the beach.
1: <laughs> right, right. No, I'm probably tax evasion. I mean, yeah. yeah don't ask. Right. So we, we actually stayed in Belize not for very long. We got stuck in a hurricane, our first one of the trip, and that was an experience. Um, but it was cool. We ended up staying in an Amish chalet uh, in the mountains. I mean, you, there's all kinds of randomness on the red. And then we made our way to Guatemala, and that was—Guatemala's my favorite country. Why? Um. Because Guatemala is totally unexpected every single day, and that was very hard at the beginning.
0: Guatemala laughs at your plans.
1: Guatemala thinks you were dumb for making any, <laughs> and wants to punish you for making them. You know, it's funny about Guatemala. The first thing is you hear about the Mayans being extinct. They're not. We drive into Guatemala and it's Mayans everywhere. I mean, it's just
0: Merida Mayans. was was. I mean, it's a, now. i well, you to that side of yeah, the country? Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking about 1989. I can't speak to it today, but. When I was in Merida in 1989, there was kind of a hierarchical class structure. And if you were blonde-ish with European features, you were automatically assumed to be, Still. and probably in an upper economic class. And if you were obviously of Mayan, you know origin, you were relegated to mm-hmm. to a you know service industry, you know uh, that, working for the Europeans.
1: It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's actually something that was very eye-opening to me in those countries um because it's no different than anywhere else. I mean, it's just the truth of it, you know, and, and all the politics aside, there is just a truth to it that worldwide, the darker skin you have, the more societal challenges you face. And we found that in every single country that we visited, there was a definite—I don't want to say caste system, but there was certainly a division of class. I
0: almost did. That, that was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of how. Yeah, mind. it is. And th- even down to like the marketing. Like I remember distinctly that in Merida, there was bimbo bread, mm-hmm. and it I was know exactly what and it was sold with a handsome, you know, European light-skinned man and a blonde woman. Yes. And yet on the street, I traveled with sorority girls from the University of Florida. They were treated like, like Martians because we would be standing in a line for a bus and little kids would touch their hair and, you know, more than a couple of times. That
1: happened to Karen a few times The
0: moms times would be embarrassed at being, you know, their children touching the hair as if it weren't real, mm-hmm. you know. Um,
1: it, it's, it's, a, it is. It's But a it was worldwide. a marketing,
0: like, like being blonde and you know and I'm light hair light skin blue eyes and taller than any Mayan man and they would look at me like I was a like I might look at a linebacker for the Titans I was a but compared well, to them, I was a giant. And
1: we saw brochures kind of addressing the problem of skin bleaching and things like that that would happen and all of the, the dangers of that. I mean, it's just it it happened everywhere. We definitely saw that. There was, you know, there are very wealthy cities in Mexico like Guadalajara, which is one of my favorite cities. But our joke about Guadalajara is everyone there looks like a stock photo. Everyone there <laughs> is beautiful. They, ca- they, they come
0: with the frame.
1: Right. And, and the majority of people who live there are also very light skinned. Um, So there is definitely truth, and then certainly in the more poverty-ridden areas that we went through, both in Mexico it's a little bit different, but in Guatemala that was definitely more of the Mayan culture. Now, Guatemala was interesting, though, because it was very mixed. I mean, in some of the wealthiest cities like Antigua, you'd have Mayans walking around. I mean, it was very integrated, kind of that more indigenous culture with a more modern culture. Um, but Guatemala, it's funny because I hated it when we first got there. I didn't like the food. It was way too random for me. No one said hello, which I learned why later, but no one said hello out the window when in Mexico everyone told us hello. Um, it, what I learned, we asked a friend of ours that we made there, why when we put our hand out the window and we say hola or buenas, whatever it is, Guatemalans just glare at us. Like, what are, are we being offensive? Because that's how we kept ourselves safe in Mexico was being super friendly to everyone. And they said, no, 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 no. For the mayans or in guatemala in general when you say hello you're starting a conversation so they're waiting for what you're going to say next and if you don't say anything next <laughs> they're like what are you doing you're being really rude <laughs> so she said try saying adios and that was foreign to me i'm like i'm saying goodbye she said just try it so the next time we see a group of mayans walking on this mountain road i put my hand out the window and i'm like adios and immediately faces light up and smiles and everybody adios back at us and that was Certainly a lesson. Because it was the
0: both the beginning and the end of the conversation. Right, exactly. There was a whole conversation that everyone was satisfied by.
1: Absolutely. As and opposed
0: so to Ola, they're like, yes.
1: Right. And it was different from country to country. So, you know, so we spend, and then our dog actually got sick while we are in Guatemala. It happened. You
0: know, it's fascinating that how it doesn't take far to have everything change. Everything. Like, you don't have to move far on the planet for things to become very different
1: unbelievable really um, the cultural differences even when everybody looks the same
0: right yeah. you may not know that you've changed right that, where, that it's different
1: it, it was crazy but um, but we see we're, we're getting to Guatemala and we're about to held, head to El Salvador and our dog gets sick
0: by the way this is the longest I've talked to a lawyer about not law
1: I like in it. forever, it's right? It's nice, right? I've,
0: this is probably going to be my favorite episode so far. It's
1: one of my favorite things about our trip is no one ever asked me what I did for a living. In in two years, no one ever asked me what I did for a living.
0: Nothing is what you were doing for a living. It might have been self-evident. But
1: it took it took six months, though, before I stopped telling people. Oh, right. Because I was so used to that. Being a right. lawyer the, was you're, my you're identity. Per, yes,
0: you are defined by this. Right? And I think that's American.
1: It 100%, it Right, is.
0: like I'm def- you're defined, and in like, for example, in Nashville, when, when people that come from other parts of the country and move here, I go, listen, welcome. Um, everyone's gonna ask you, where are your people from? And what <laughs> church do you go to? That's true. And this is how they get to know you and figure out what to talk about next. They're not like being invasive or like interrogating you. But it's I just find, sort of the way it goes.
1: Which I'm sure you know, the thing about being a lawyer and saying that to people, it, I think we have—I think it's backwards. I think we have a, a rep for being arrogant, which, sure, some of that's true. But I think the wall that goes up is from other people. I think the minute I say that I'm a lawyer, a lot of people just put me—they compartmentalize it.
0: They think they know everything they need to know.
1: Or they think that I think I'm in a different place than they are, um, and I'll they bet get you a little that, weird. I'll
0: bet you that if you go out in—even in, here in East Nashville— and the first thing that someone learns about you as lawyer, I'll bet the trip never comes up.
1: Totally true. That's true.
0: So if you led with the trip, the lawyer would never come up.
1: Absolutely. Except that everybody always wants to know how we paid for it. Yeah. Which is funny because I actually learned very quickly that no one could talk to me about the trip. They couldn't get past the how did we pay for it. Um, right. So I ended up doing a big blog post about that because I wanted to talk about the experience but people would blank out right. because they assumed it was unattainable for them. Huh. And they assumed that I must be a millionaire to do it. But on the road it was so freeing. I didn't realize how how much of a barrier just being a lawyer and saying it was between me and other people. Yeah. So it was great. It was great having that identity. When you broke removed. that habit. It was. It was something really important for me.
0: So Guatemala Dog
1: gets sick again, so we can't get back on the road because she's not road ready. So we ended up getting an apartment in Antigua for five months. Oh my god! (laughs) So
0: once again, now you're like now you're like a year in, you're, you're and you're like legit expat,
1: right? I mean, we just we're living now right. in Guatemala. Now you're
0: glad no one asks you why are you here? What are you doing?
1: We've got friends. We've got our places. I've got a co-working spot. You know, <laughs> doing all these things. Oh um, the car is parked.
0: Now I don't know you well enough to know whether you whether your parents are living or anything like that. But this must have been where they thought, oh God, that's it.
1: My mother certainly had that. Now my mom is they are not traveler. coming
0: back. They're yeah, never coming back.
1: She said that many times. She asked her, you guys—you've guys gone, really you've gone, back? Colonel
0: Kurtz on them.
1: My law partners are starting to wonder if they need to rent out my office. You know, <laughs> there's a lot happening, um, and I was wondering. Honestly, I was wondering. We joined a gym. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you I made, was also—you made
0: commitments,
1: and I was starting to see myself as somebody who just didn't live in this country. And I enjoyed it. This country it.
0: being the United States. Yes. OK.
1: And I was more comfortable with that than I expected. Now,
0: how's your wife doing at this point?
1: You know, Karen and I had very different experiences on the road. Um, she had a great time. We were having a great time. But she was still wanting to do the trip more right. than I was. Right. I actually could have stopped the trip and just stayed in Guatemala. OK. But she wanted to reach the destination. And in her mind, this was always this thing we were doing rather than a new there, lifestyle we were there adopting. There
0: was an end. There, there was a end. place we were going.
1: Yes. And, you know, to that end, I mean, Karen had now no how, okay.
0: reason. So you're 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 months into this thing now. Now, how well do you get along with someone that you sit next to for...
1: Shockingly well. Okay. So it's funny because a lot of couples we met on the road got divorced. Um, right.
0: I was going to say, some I think it's a little bit trips. like the coronavirus pandemic. Like, if you get cooped up with someone, you're either going to lean in and turn in, and or you're going to, like, you're going to focus on the things that you hate
1: yeah but we were so busy i mean that's the thing that i think everyone really misunderstood is everybody i knew thought we were on a vacation right and i actually started to really resent that after a while because i wished i had been on a vacation for a lot of it instead
0: you're like i don't even know where to buy gas
1: exactly and i need tires and every day i need i
0: need food yes and it's not that easy
1: and it's all work. I mean, it is all work. It's problem
0: solving constantly.
1: And and we've got this old car. I mean, we took a 20-year-old vehicle. It had problems. And actually, it did great. But you know, there are just things Still to do. and Brakes. Everything's exhausting. You know, you don't go to a mechanic in Central America without knowing pretty much how they have to fix it so that you can stand over their shoulder and watch them do it. So there was just, it was constant. We were exhausted for a lot of our trip. So there wasn't time for us to do a lot except problem solve together. So we became great at it. It's, I have never, I, I don't know if I could have ever done that trip with anyone else. I don't. My wife is unbelievably capable. Um, she can work on cars and she can solve problems like I've never seen. But together, we just got into a rhythm. And that's actually, speaking of my mom, I think what surprised her the most. Because I'm a volatile person. I am a Puerto Rican female criminal defense lawyer. <laughs> I can get riled up about a lot of things. Quickly. Quickly. Um, yeah, I'm often having to remind people that I'm just talking and not yelling, right? <laughs> Constantly. Oh,
0: I, if uh, yeah, I can tell you that, uh, like, it it works for like Scotch Irish, WASP lawyer male I bet. too, because I bet. there have been plenty of times where my wife was like, "Why did you yell at me?" I'm like, "I didn't yell at you." <laughs> like on a scale of zero to ten, my aggravation level was like a two, maybe no, a two point five.
1: Good. So you,
0: I felt like you were yelling at me. Like, no, you'll know when I yell at you. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I. My mom came down to visit and we took her and I was very proud How of her. How does she come
0: down to visit or rescue you?
1: I think she thought she was coming down to make sure we were telling the truth about our experience.
0: Okay. You so know. like she's like Is it proof? as safe as they proof saying. of life kind yes. of thing, yes. Okay. Yes.
1: And so and my mom's an adventurer for sure. I mean, there was definitely a part of her that wished that she could have come with us. And there were things that I'm I feel very lucky because I know that other people on the trip struggled with their parents not understanding my mother really gave us rain she would come down for usually eight days and we would split it up we would split up half of that time camping with her in places we would camp just like we would do it without any planning and half the time in the cities in an airbnb something like that and the first time she came down was in baja and we drive her out to this remote beach there's nothing and no one, and we had to get our water situated. And she's like, where are we going? And I'm like, we're going to go camp on the beach. We're camping on a beach in Mexico, not a campsite. <laughs> right. There's no bathroom, there's no water, there's no guard, right. there's no nope. nothing. Not doing any of that. And after three days, she's like, do we have to go back to the city? Because this is the best thing ever. Right. You know. So she came to visit us in Mexico and in Guatemala and in Costa Rica. Um, and it was, it was magical having her down there. But after the first time, that was one of the things that she commented on. She's like, you guys move in such sync and you all, you both have your jobs and you just do your jobs. That was, that was not by design. That was just what was necessary. Right. You know, um, we would get to a campsite and there was a rhythm to thing. Right.
0: She grabs this, you grab that. Yeah. Right. It's like, who who unloads the dishwasher?
1: And the, the phrase, going where the day takes you, has just never been truer. I mean, you just, you go where the day takes you, because we don't really know where that's going to be.
0: So you're in Guatemala for, what'd you say, like five, five months. months. Now, how is it that it comes time to go on?
1: Karen was ready to go. Okay. And we had already, so Guatemala. And your every, gym
0: membership expired. Our
1: gym membership, <laughs> which was glorious, by the way. I mean, we got personal training. for We, were, we had a personal trainer, but for $8 an hour, you know. Um <laughs> But we finally get out of Guatemala because Karen's ready to go. She was ready to move on. I was ready to move there. And so that was a, it was a moment for us. But then it was time to go to El Salvador. And the funny thing is, is no lo- no, no matter how long you stay on the road and you get good at this, eh, every single country tells you that the next country is more dangerous. Uh-huh. So in Mexico, you can't go to Belize. You're going to die. Belizeans, you can't go to Guatemala. You're going to die. Guatemala, definitely don't go to El Salvador.
0: <laughs> Whatever you do, this is it.
1: Right. So every time though you it's hard not to buy in. so this trepidation before Well, I and you're
0: you're 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 both um, metaphysically and physically getting further from home.
1: Yes, yes. And
0: now if we turn around, we've built in another, 500 miles or five days or whatever.
1: And statistically, I mean, you know, the lawyer in me kicks in, too. I keep thinking, OK, we've made it a year. Nothing's happened. Right.
0: Well, the chances are it's going to catch up to right. the right. Yeah.
1: right. And so now we're getting to big, scary El Salvador, you know, MS-13 and all the things. And we expected to find heads hanging from bridges. And I don't know what we thought. We pull into El Salvador and it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. The roads are in better condition than most of the countries we've been to so far. Um, the first place we ate in San Salvador, one of the, the murder capital of the world outside of war zones. And the first place we ate was an Olive Garden. <laughs> Which I... Wait. I am not ashamed to say this. We had been eating non-American food for a year. (laughs) So you
0: get to Olive Garden, you're like, yep, breadsticks.
1: Right, 100%. Yeah, I'll have the all-you-can-eat breadsticks, please. They've got a Benihana and a TGI Fridays. Wow. um, So it was... I did not see that coming. No, San Salvador was an awesome city. Now, that is not to say, and I do want to be respectful of the country. I, I get... I get, I found myself doing it, but I get irritated with Americans like myself who go down to a place and they want it to be there, like here or say it's super safe. We don't, ha- there's no,
0: it, it, it uh, was safe uh, for us. N- nowhere is super safe.
1: No. And I, even though I will say 100% to travel there as a tourist, it's pretty safe. But And that was what we were. We were tourists living there is a different experience
0: right once you get away from the bright lights and the places that are safe so that they can make money
1: and once you're trying to own businesses and right. send your kids to school right. and live in neighbor it's a different experience and i can't and now i will say that even that experience it wasn't as much of a war zone in these places than i thought um because i do feel like we lived in places more than most people do we ended up living in some way in almost every place we went But still, our experience of safety was from the perspective of outsiders. Um, But we go into El Salvador, and it was super friendly. The only MS-13 that we encountered, which we did encounter, were stuck in the sand on the beach. And we have all this equipment in this big car. And I'm an experienced girl, so very happily, we hooked up their stuck car to our Land Cruiser and pulled it out, and then we got invited to an MS-13 party on the beach later that day. (laughs) And those experiences are incredible. They're incredible. Um, But no one ever tried to kill us. That never happened. We met the mayor of El Salvador and he invited us to lunch. I
0: got really drunk with the mayor of Valladolid. (laughs) And so the summer I spent in Mexico, I was there with a professor of anthropology. And so he took us out to places that he had been studying and living himself for years and years and years and years. And so we went to this little town in the middle of the day and it was literally siesta but when they saw this busload of american kids pull up they opened well i didn't <laughs> want anything to do with the cheek lays and the right, whatever right, right. so i wandered around and found myself in this little store and i just wanted a beer so i order you know i buy a beer and before long it turns out i've stumbled into the f- storefront behind which lives the owner of the store, who happens to be the mayor of this town, <laughs> and his whole family. And so I'm sitting there drinking Tacati with this guy and his family, and they are picking my brain about the United States. And I could not convince them, no matter what I said, that Miami was in Florida. Yes. In their mind, Miami was its own unique place. I mean, it is. And it is, but they could not, they, they had a really hard time wrapping their head around the idea that Miami was a city in a state. It didn't, it, I couldn't, and their entire experience, th- their filter for me was American television because every little grass hut with dirt floor had an antenna. And so they had seen Miami yes. Vice. They had seen every episode of Miami Vice. And so their experience of me was that I lived, like, on the set of Miami Vice. <laughs> and I ended up really drunk, and, um, and I was late. We had been told to come back to the bus by this time. And I was, like, 30 minutes late. <laughs> and when I stumbled out of this store, the professor was livid. He was like, we have been waiting on you. Where have you been? I'm like, uh, I've been over there. And he's like, what were you doing? I was, like, drinking with them. And he was mad, understandably so. And when I he said, who are they? And I'm like, that's the mayor. He's like, wait a minute. You spent two hours with the mayor of this town. Now, most of the rest of the busload of kids has bought souvenirs, right? And you know, right. like, like stuff, right? They've they've done the ugly American. tour. And I got drunk with the mayor.
1: And your experience, All right? I mean, and at that
0: point, he was like, "Get on the bus, right? Don't be late again." It's hard
1: to argue with that, right? It's hard, and that you know, that was that was the overwhelming thing about our whole year. I mean, our whole two years is the unexpected. It was really, that became the thing. And the thing that exhausted us early on became what we looked forward to later.
0: Right. Because like as a as like a lawyer, you literally record every six minutes of your day. Yes. And you plan weeks out.
1: I am so glad you said that. At- Look, the biggest argument I have, now, now I can go home to my wife and you have no idea what you've just done for my life. So our biggest argument on the whole trip was that I spent time documenting it every minute. Every minute it's what, I we do. Die, it's what we do. Right. Man, this is great. I finally You're have welcome. I finally have a retort to her her biggest and I and it is actually like living
0: the moment. She's like live in the moment, don't you know, don't She don't wanted
1: try. me off of social media. She did not want the world to know what city we were in or what a good time we had last I night. It. I mean, I, I get that. And if I had it to do over again, I would probably do it that way. When we go to do South America, which we will do, um, I will reserve all of that i think for after the trip
0: right okay like dump it like later
1: right because it did take up it was a thing you know for me it was this kind of desperate need to memorialize yeah and
0: you're not all in if you're posting totally right okay i I get that and then it
1: becomes things about what people want you to post
0: right but it is what we do it is what we do right like we are document 100
1: percent documenting you know but so we we ended up el salvador was great it was just beach surf towns in a a cool city and then we made our way down and we get to um we go through nicaragua which was unbelievably hot um and so we kind of hightailed it to costa rica we only stayed in nicaragua for two months and that was one of our shortest stays anywhere
0: (laughs) just wait (laughs) i may loop that back in sure (laughs) we only stayed in nicaragua for two months
1: we would have stayed not
0: worth talking about no I mean hardly worth mentioning the 60 days that I spent in Nicaragua
1: was hot is all I have to say about that it was hot and the monkeys were really big that's what I can tell you about Nicaragua (laughs) Uh, monkeys got much smaller so no one had
0: to talk you out of talk you into leaving Nicaragua
1: no it was hot it was incredibly hot Um, Nicaragua you know it's all the volcanoes are everywhere now we did it was the hottest day of my whole life literally the hottest day of my whole life but one thing about Nicaragua, they've got these great volcanoes that you can surfboard down. And we did that, and that was a highlight for sure. Volcano you, boarding is a highlight.
0: Like like black sand or yes. okay.
1: Like, well, black volcanic dirt.
0: Okay, right. Um, but it, I mean it's all right. And you I put gotcha. on
1: these heat resistant suits because there's volcanic steam everywhere. But you're
0: basically surfing on powder.
1: Well, on boards. They right, give you right. yeah, exactly. Okay. And you go down very fast, so, but it was pretty incredible. That, that sounds kind of fun, and we got to camp at the base of a volcano. You know that it, that's that's a little nerve wracking, but it's so. Fun.
0: After all this, you get to Costa Rica, and are you like, eh?
1: No, because Costa Rica it is by far the most Americanized and the most expensive right. of all the Central American yeah. countries. But even you know, travelers love to talk about how touristy Costa Rica is, and it is. But it is still Central America. It's still wild and random, and it still has a lot of danger. But Costa Rica by far is the most lush. I mean, there's a reason Costa Rica got the way it did. Right. It is green and beautiful. and it, Animals it's, and right. plants. And, and the people are endlessly friendly, and it's just easy. It's easier than anywhere else. It's not easy. Nothing in Central America is easy. But it's easier than anywhere else we had been. So it was actually, and because we'd been there once before, it felt, it felt like respite in some ways and
0: you've gotten where you set out to go
1: yes although now this does not feel like the end um, by any means now, now it's you're just, now
0: you finally really understand that I'll do anything to stay on the road one more day anything right because you, you, at this point I imagine the last thing you want to do is turn around and drive home
1: we don't and so now Karen though at now this how point, long
0: are, are you're you're a little over a year
1: we are at this point so we had spent six months in Mexico five months in Guatemala six weeks in Belize um,
0: You've shattered the at most a year thought.
1: Right. Six weeks in El Salvador. We spent a week in Honduras in two months. We're about a year and a half in at this point. Um, and Costa Rica though, Costa Rica kicked us out because they won't let you extend your visa. They, they're, they won't with your car. You can extend your personal visa, but not your car visa there. So we had no choice. Come,
0: spend money, go home.
1: Right. Three months, you got to go. So we did Costa Rica for three months, but the car issue became an issue because we couldn't at this point we knew we weren't going to make it to south america that was our original plan our original plan was to get all the way to patagonia because we didn't know oh, shit about Lord. shit well we didn't know shit about <laughs> shit so we thought that's, sure that's
0: that is literally driving practically the length of uh,
1: we had no idea <laughs>
0: like, okay
1: i mean people do it by the way are like our friends oh, deaths to glory lots of people do it the alaska to okay, patagonia yeah. but we didn't realize how slowly we traveled and that made this not, not, the car was starting to really break down, our bodies were starting to break down, our parents had had enough, my <laughs> law partners had had enough. Um, okay. So by the time we... And get to Costa Coast-
0: Rica tells you to get out anyway. Right. Go where, so, you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.
1: But so that became a problem though, because now if we're not continuing south, that means we have to go back. And if we go into Panama, we can't bring the car back into Costa Rica. So... What we actually did, Panama, we had to kind of cut short. We did it, but we cut it short. We left the car in Costa Rica, which that's a whole thing, and then we took a bus over to Panama, and then we just kind of bust it around Panama now, for a while with our dog.
0: When I was you. when I was in Mexico for the summer, I didn't first class on a bus meant you got a seat. Second class meant you got to stand. <laughs> right. So, and um, the stereotypical chickens and whatnot between Merida and the beach progresso. I remember taking a bus out there a few it's times. True. Yeah.
1: And the chicken buses are epic. Yeah. I mean, they're epic. But so we did that, and then we went back to Costa Rica. And so now we had to ask ourselves a question. Now it is time to go home. Because if we're not going to do South America, then there's we, nowhere to go but home. Right. And... We started thinking about our time, and Karen was really just ready. So, the options were to either ship the car from there. And our dog passed away in Costa Rica. Now, with that said, she lived a year and a half longer than we were told she was going to live. And it was the best year and a half of her life. Oh, I'm sh- um, yeah. Incredible. And she had, frankly, a beautiful death as far as it goes. Um, but so now our spirits were low. And we couldn't really see what we were going to do. So it was either shipping the car or turning around and driving back. Now, Karen really wanted to ship the car. Um, You know, the dog. And that means
0: get on a plane. It does. Like microwave back to.
1: And I could not do it. I could not. I knew we had to go home, but I couldn't cut it that short. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't end it on a plane.
0: Yeah, that's like coming out of warp drive.
1: I couldn't do it. So I talked her into turning around and driving back. And I made the promise <laughs> that we would do it a lot faster. Right, we're not going to
0: stop in Nicaragua for <laughs> two not. months.
1: Um, so we, we took, will
0: actually just make the trip.
1: Right, and that was six months. So it took us six months um, to go back because I did manage to slow us down quite a bit.
0: Now you're 18 months away from home.
1: Yes, and we took another six months to go back. So it was two years, um, almost exactly, when we hit the border back into California. Now, I
0: mean, like in the time that you're gone, even where you left has changed.
1: Everything changed. I describe crossing that border, and then, you know, so Karen got very good at finding us house sits, and the first thing she found when we crossed over was a house sit in LA, in, Bever- in, um, in Beverly Hills. The house that we sat was the was owned by the woman who did all the costumes for The Matrix. So we literally went from sleeping in a tent on a beach in a village, to this mansion in beverly hills and it I, we thought it was going to be great like we both had kind of fantasized this perfect re-entry right and it was kind of a nightmare for us um everything seemed bright and loud and I, it's, in our faces it's
0: so strange because 30 years before you did that i got off the plane i did fly home and my then girlfriend now wife handed me a puppy in customs, I was like here you go. <laughs> so I had it. I got <laughs> off the there plane and I things. and I got a dog. Yeah, it was awesome, great dog. But I remember thinking, oh, I just want a steak, because in Mexico for the whole summer, I ate basic. If I got meat, oh, it was yeah. chicken.
1: Yep. And it was chicken
0: that was <laughs> yesterday.
1: Or super paper thin steak that uh, doesn't really yeah. count. Yeah. So
0: I was like, I want a steak. So we went to like I don't know Roots Chris or somewhere like that, and I got this huge steak. I couldn't even eat it. It did not taste like food to me anymore. Right. It tasted like, it tasted like, you think food is supposed to taste, unless of course you've been eating, you know, literally right. street food, and you know, it's like
1: computer designed food. You yeah, know, it was like, like it was matrix. like three D printed right. food.
0: I I couldn't even eat it.
1: I I felt, and I I don't want to overstate it, but I felt traumatized by the reentry. It, it immediately so you know you get off this trip and again we felt like Indiana Jones and we have accomplished all these things and I have done things I never thought I was capable of and I had lost 30 pounds and I was feeling strong and fit and I got back and we crossed over and I immediately felt insecure and weak and shaky and afraid and all these things that I hadn't expected to feel.
0: Yeah because the United States is big and loud and in your face and I mean LA. Yes.
1: Yes. So, and we made it two years without a car accident and without a real theft of any kind. And we get back in L.A. and we were there for a week when someone hits and runs us and steals from the car <laughs> and welcome. so I mean, welcome home. You know, is um, this a
0: great country or what?
1: Oh, it's great. But um, but so anyway, it, Karen is done. She is ready to come home. Right. And the dog's is,
0: dead, adventure lived.
1: Right. You know, and she's just done and she's ready to make a real living again and get back to our friends and our families. Yeah, enough
0: of that. fun. That was fun.
1: And I was holding on. I was holding on. So I dragged out our drive across the country back for almost six more months. I oh, my God.
0: <laughs> yes. Now, at some point, there uh, is – I don't know your wife, but I'm going to speak up for her here. <laughs> if she were resentful, it was completely justified, Absolutely. right? Okay. Absolutely.
1: Right. And it is to this day why I think she's a little nervous when I say, can we Oh, go, can we do a thing? Yes, <laughs> can we do a thing? Because um, she
0: knows you're going to go Colonel Kurt's native –
1: but then this wonderful thing happened, and it did help with my transition. So we get home. We finally get home. And it wasn't six months. It was like four. But we get home, and Karen immediately, and no one expected this, immediately got her job back and got her job back with a promotion and a race. No one expected this. And one thing about the road that, made, that really impacted my wife was asking for what you want and designing your life the way you want it. So when she came back and her boss called her, and he's like, glad to have you back. Would you consider working for us again? She said, I would, accept
0: but I have these things. I yeah. have
1: to be 100% virtual. I have to be remote now. She was not remote before we left, right? but she said, I need to be- I'm not
0: punching it at eight o'clock at a desk.
1: I'm not doing it. I have to be location independent. And what is
0: the nature of her work? She's in IT. Okay.
1: And that's all I really know. Every time I explain what she does, (laughs) she tells me I have no idea what she does. So I don't know. Um, She does something in IT, something with systems, and she's called an architect. That's all I know. Okay. So all of a sudden she's location independent, but the caveat was they wanted her to go open a new office in California. We had been home two weeks. We didn't even, we were sleeping on a friend's couch. I had walked into the office, I'm telling my law partners, I'm back. Yay! Right, I've gone and I've reintroduced myself at court, I've gone to the judges, I'm back, I'm ready to take some appointments, I'm ready to go back to it. And two weeks later, my wife says, we got to go live in California for six months. And I am terrified and thrilled. Right. (laughs) All at the same time. Oh,
0: now you're down with the plan, huh?
1: Yes, this is great. And they're going to pay for our apartment in San Diego, so... Fantastic. So that's what we did. We went back to California for six months. I lost all credibility with all of my colleagues that I was ever coming <laughs> right. back you're, again. Yeah, you're done. Um, and then we really had to come home. And so now we've been back in Nashville for eighteen months.
0: All right. So, what do you? How does a trip like that change the way you see the world that you live in now? We're sitting in East Nashville and you're practicing law kind of back to the grind if you will what what do you take from two years or two and a half this odyssey that manifests today
1: a lot of things wow that's a big question Um, so there are that's there's a couple parts to that you know how do I I view the world and how do I view myself in these these different different perspectives and I will say that I've always loved being a lawyer Um, it was something that I always wanted to do, and I, I bled being a lawyer. Every breath was about being a lawyer. I mean, you used the term street lawyer earlier, and that is how I, I self-defined in every way. But I didn't realize how much of my identity was in some way stolen by that title. Um, and being on the road and doing this whole different thing really made me realize that it is a part of who I am, but not the end all of who I am. And it also made me a much better lawyer because of the kindness I experienced on the road. People were so helpful. And it made me understand things, too, about some of our complaints. Okay, I get it. You know, sometimes it's it's obnoxious when someone comes into my office and they don't speak English and I don't really know how to help them. But and it's easy to get that first instinct to say they should learn to speak English. And this is something, though, where my perspective has really changed. because. When I was in those countries, I had a responsibility to try to learn their language, and I did try. But when I had to do something important, something that mattered, when I needed to talk to a doctor, when I needed to set up my phone, when we're trying to get our import permit or our visa situated, the gratitude that I felt to find someone
0: who spoke English,
1: I don't know how we would have navigated those things.
0: Yeah, and so yes, for sure, that's all on point. I always think whenever I run across someone who clearly did not grow up here, does not speak English well, or maybe even at all, having been in Mexico just a little bit, I think to myself, what kind of life led them to think that leaving it behind, crossing into this country, maybe illegally, risking incarceration, risking deportation, living under circumstances you know, where mm-hmm. uh, getting stopped by the police for running a stop sign could mean going to jail, um, what kind of life would propel someone to think that anything that happens in Nashville, Tennessee beats where what I'm right. doing here? Right? So like...
1: And you said it earlier, and I, I caught it when you said it because it, it rang so true for me. I mean, we came across... Now, poverty, I will say poverty, it is different down there than poverty here. And, you know, I am definitely a left-leaning girl. But is this? in fact, it made me question even some of my left leanings because I, I, I have become in many ways more middle ground on a lot of things because, okay, so here's one. This is a, an issue that I struggle with. One thing that we noticed throughout Central America, except in the cities, there weren't a lot of homeless people. It was different. And I really started paying attention to that. And why is that? Well, there were shacks made out of tin or pieces of cardboard and dirt floors and absolutely no running water and no electricity of any kind. And it seemed like conditions that were beneath humans. Except that what I also kept thinking was, but they have homes and they have communities and here in the states all of our regulations make that impossible. They give you unless you unless you agree to pay rent and utilities and all these things, then you have no choice but to live on the street because of our regulations. Right. And our regulations over landlords and property owners that you have to have all these things make the prices go up. Well, the liberal in me says housing conditions, and yes, and I wanna pound my fist and we should all have livable housing conditions. But what I saw on the road in practicality was that yes, these living conditions in many ways to us, to our eyes, were terrible. But to people who'd grown up that way, they had communities. Right. And they had everything that in their minds they needed. And
0: a dislocated shoulder cost 80 bucks. Exactly. Which to them is perhaps- Yes. Ridiculously expensive, but-
1: At the same time, the other side of that is these are people who want more for their own kids too. Because like you said, even these dirt floors and hammocks for furniture, they have satellite TV and they see our American way of life. And I can't fault anyone for wanting more for their kids when this is what they see. And that's not even to take into account the violence and the corruption that does happen in all these governments. You know, so it's, that's all very tricky to me. Um, Also because I certainly have I, I'm looking for the word and I can't find I've romanticized all of these Central American countries because I love them so much but again that's my perspective as a tourist that's my perspective as an outsider right um, you know so sometimes I was like Karen why does anybody want to get out of here this is amazing and
0: but, yeah if but, you have if you if you can leave when you want right and you have more money in your bank account even a year later Absolutely. than any of them will ever have and ever that
1: actually that point was the only judgment we never got people asked us like where did mexicans judge you for being an american you know because of all the things going on not for that reason they really didn't um we got judgment because of choosing not to work and doing this incredibly right. irresponsible <laughs> financial <laughs> right. thing right that we were judged for that. you
0: have you have this luxury Yes. Of choice, that it was actually a, a viable choice for you to say, meh, fuck it.
1: Right, exactly. Sell everything,
0: get in a car, we'll go see what we see.
1: And to us, we would, you know, we'd be get defensive about it. We live in a tent. No, you're choosing to live in a tent. Right,
0: <laughs> right. You sold a house. Right.
1: And even that and you, vehicle, both have a,
0: you both have an education that is worth something anywhere on the planet.
1: Right. And that vehicle is a very expensive vehicle, right. and it uses very expensive gas. And gas was $4 a gallon everywhere in Mexico and Central America, so most people don't have cars, you know. Um, but it, I came back with some—one thing I will say about the United States, I have a lot of good things to say because it gave me perspective there, too. But the, I think the, the downfall of the United States 100% is marketing. It just is. We are so marketed to. I think it is, it, it's so, such a contributor to a lot of our economic state. This idea of things that we have to have or should have, and this constant grind that we're on, and the amount of work that we feel we have to do to keep up with this grind. It is, that's the biggest difference I saw in some of these countries where there's just no advertising. People were a lot more satisfied with their lives. Right. Um, and they didn't work as much. And that's the reality, because they didn't need as much. Right. And for us, that is something that immediately struck me um, when we came back, is how much just... You don't need. You don't. And just how the did pressure, you, though, so that immediately came into. to...
0: Did you buy a house?
1: So we are actually... <laughs> this is so I want
0: to. Okay, so I guess the question really is, you, you, you sold everything you th- except for what you thought you wanted. You packed that up in a car you got to the beginning of your trip in Mexico and you ditched still more Every week. so you so you so you wind up getting home i guess
1: souvenirless
0: right yeah <laughs> I, you get home with like not a lot of physical belongings and then what happened
1: well we also realized once again that we didn't know shit about shit because why did we sell things that we would have to rebuy when we came at home at full price at full price right? like a blender our pots and pans our sheets for our bed i mean and then it would, have,
0: would it have been cheaper to store it all and yes okay
1: it would have been um
0: rent your house airbnb your house put your you, stuff in storage all of those things right, so if you so when you do this again
1: we would rent our house pro
0: tip for the next adventurers
1: so all we would have needed coming in honestly for income to stay on the road another two years would have been 500 dollars a month if we could have kept that amount of money just coming Met. in monthly yes then we would have still been able to, to continue on um, because you really can make it on a very small amount of yeah. money So there. All
0: right, so you, you realized that was a mistake, <laughs> liquidating everything. You wouldn't do that again. But what did you, like, did you go, were you more discriminating in what things you've let come back into your life?
1: For a long time. Um, I will say that's, that's still true. I mean, it's still true. I have learned, I actually, I just said this to Karen yesterday. That one of my biggest lessons was learning that I can really like something without having to buy it, without needing to own it. Ooh. I can go to a store and say, yeah. "That is amazing." That
0: part's getting edited out. My wife can <laughs> never hear that part.
1: Be an amazing <laughs> thing, and I don't have to own that thing. Um, but so there are things that stuck. But there, there's also like with everything else. You know, when I first got back, I was pretty judgy, I, I'd say. But I definitely was one of those people when I was on the road. You know, oh where, yeah, when we were in Mexico, right, like, and
0: you're now that Instagram girl who, oh. uh, t- take me back.
1: Yeah. If you were a real traveler. No, <laughs> right. I mean, you know, but it's kind of
0: like. Oh, you went to Cancun for three days. That's right. that's oh, super cute. Oh, you stayed in
1: a resort. That's yeah. super cute. That's not really traveling. Um, but it was kind of like on the road, too. And this has sort of what been what my whole experience has been over the last three years, is come down to balance. And be when I asked myself, so even when we first got on the road, like I said, we encountered this huge community of travelers. And there's politics there too, and there's judgment there too, and a lot of them have and, these huge Instagram followings and, and
0: clicks, and and
1: you're not doing it rough enough. You know, okay. I have a big chip on my shoulder because Karen and I got judged quite a bit because our choice that we made to stay at Airbnbs and houses fifty percent of our
0: choice. Oh, you slept in a you slept in a.
1: You're not really yeah, okay. You know, and there's even a whole hashtag about it on Instagram. You didn't sleep there. Hashtag you didn't sleep there. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. So like <laughs> you a, went to the thing, right? You, you took went the to the picture, place.
0: But then you went to the Airbnb.
1: Right. Yeah, and okay. look, we never did that. <laughs> if we posted about an Airbnb, we were in one. And if we posted about camping, we can't. But on the road, there became that thing too. And for a while, it affected my trip because I, I started to do things that I thought I was supposed to do on right. a trip like so that. So sw-
0: you, you, you just changed who you were letting judge you.
1: Right. Exactly. And then the same thing, kind of, when whose we came expectations
0: home. you were responding to,
1: right? And then, but for the second half of our trip, we shed that. I mean, we really, you know, had this heart to heart with each other. And Karen is very good at challenging me. And no, this is our trip. And why did we do it? And I love the camping, and we're going to keep doing that. But I love cities. I love cities. A lot of overland travelers avoid the cities because they think they're going to be less safe. That was not our experience. We loved. We visited every city, every place we went. Um, but to do that, you stay in Airbnbs. That's what you do. So the same thing when I came home though, I had to deal with it again, of what everyone else was going to expect of me when I came home and what I had come to expect of myself. Should we, I felt guilty that I wanted a nice house again because that shouldn't matter anymore. Right. Didn't I you can, learn? You can live
0: in a 800 square feet.
1: Right, didn't I learn on the road that I don't need those things? Didn't I learn that? And that became as, its own burden. It really did. And, you know, it's funny because I, I actually wrote a blog post recently and I was saying, talking about how disappointing I must have been to everyone I had coffee with the first two or three months I came back. Because they were expecting these big stories about our adventures and how I learned. Yeah, I had
0: a trainer named Pablo and Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> you know, but what I came back with was fear and insecurity and being unsure about who I was in the world and am I still a good lawyer and do I still want to do these things and all of this. But as time's gone on, once again I've found balance. And I will shop for the thing. I do. I have things again. We are in fact buying our house back, the same house. <laughs> We are spending. I will not
0: ask what the markup was. A
1: lot. It's a whole thing. Um, (laughs) But we are doing those things.
0: That sounds like something you guys might need to take up in counseling.
1: Yeah, yeah. But uh, but there's balance, you know. And I I I pick and choose a little more carefully. But I don't deprive myself for the sake of doing it because that is not what I learned on the road. I did not learn to be someone who I'm not because I'm supposed to do that. and even my career has now taken a drastic change. Because, you know, it's funny, and I again, I, I, I don't say this politically. It's not. I just happened to watch it a couple weeks ago. But I watched Michelle Obama's special on Netflix. And I actually fell asleep towards the end, but there was one line in it that she said, and it really struck exactly where I am right now. So she said people kept asking her if it was hard to go back to her former life. And she had to really think about that. And it, she realized that she wasn't going back to anything. That there was never going to be a going back. There was only figuring out how to go forward, and that was so freeing to me to hear, because that's all I've been trying to do since yeah. I got back. So,
0: like you, you had the impression from afar that when you returned, you had to figure out how to fit
1: to go back to that peak right, of success new, I was the having. The new
0: sunny yes. into the old. Sunny box
1: I was trying to figure out how to be the lawyer I was before how to be the friend I was before how to build the home I had before and Now that's changed what I realize now is I still love criminal defense. I'll always love criminal defense It's my first love and I want to help people and I am as caught up in everything going on right now as everyone else is And I want to be in the trenches and it's important to me to be part of history and what I see happening is historic At the same time I am much older than I used to be Um, I have chosen to fight my battles a bit differently than I used to. And I also recognize now, too, that my freedom is really important to me. It's really important to me. And I can design my life in a way that incorporates it. So I have added a different area of practice to my criminal law practice. I am now doing trademark law and small business strategies.
0: You you may have the market cornered on trademark law or possession. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Either one. Line
0: one, line two.
1: But I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I can do it from anywhere. I can do it from anywhere. And there are entre- one thing, one other thing we saw on the road a lot. And I don't know why it surprised me. I mean, again, there, are, I just didn't know shit about shit. But entrepreneurship is worldwide. <laughs> it yeah, really is. everybody's
0: trying to figure out how to hustle.
1: And the movement towards working for yourself and creating your own businesses is also worldwide. Right. You know, Guadalajara was an amazing city for, 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds starting their own businesses out of their garages, which is easier to do there because you don't need the permits and things that you need here. But it made me, I've always been a helper. It's why I went to law school. I started out as a therapist. I'm a terrible listener. I'm a better talker. <laughs> I was going to say,
0: I think I think therapists and trial lawyers are cut from different cloths. I was
1: miserable <laughs> as a therapist. Um, law school was the smartest decision I ever made. <laughs> I'm much better at telling people what they need to you do. You should lead with that. <laughs> I should. I was terrible at it ther- as being a therapist, but I also had in my head. I think that criminal law, because we are such fighters, you know, and we get to be in it. Um, we get into our heads in some ways that we're the only real lawyers out there. You know, we're in the grit. We're we're
0: we're street we're, we're street lawyers. We're
1: street lawyers, right? And it's a the re- whole thing. I, I,
0: the rest of them our word processors. I don't know what they do.
1: I don't know either. They're paperwork. But then I met, I mean, there's a whole movement in Mexico of former felons who are doing small businesses. And it's very similar to some of the the movements that we have here. But I started to really realize that I can choose my demographic of client. Um, And it's something I didn't know that I could do. You know, started thinking about that way. And it's amazing the crossover that I have between my criminal defense work and my small business work now. And I very much still feel like I'm doing the good work, but I am doing it in a way that is a little healthier for me at this point in my life. Yeah. Um, I will always be a criminal lawyer. I yeah, always Yeah, if be. I didn't
0: get to stand up on my feet, on my hind legs once in a while and say, ready for trial, I, right. I wouldn't do this.
1: Let me tell you, when we first all went under quarantine and I had an inkling, and I've been doing the virtual lawyer thing for a little while, so I felt pretty prepared. Um, but. When I realized that we might start having hearings before on Zoom, things like that, I immediately set up a space in my house. I bought a podium.
0: Oh, you, you, you. <laughs> yeah. Because I
1: have to be standing up to yeah. do my thing.
0: My my wife, my wife is wondering when it's going to end. Like when I, I literally have created a studio.
1: Yes. In my home. And I love it. I do too. <laughs> I,
0: I could do this. I honestly, I, I was built for this.
1: I think my wife has been really disturbed to hear me on work calls, things like that. It's yes, a whole thing. Right. You know, she's like, do you really talk like that? Is yes, that who you are? Right.
0: Who are you? But
1: then I discovered last week that she was a shout-out to girl on her work meetings. And oh, that was, that my, was
0: So my wife said to me, she said, you talk to women differently. And I'm like, what? She's like, you talk to women differently. And it wasn't accusatory. <laughs> it wasn't accusatory or, or like it wasn't, it wasn't accusatory in the like infidelity sense, and it wasn't accusatory in like the, the like um, mansplaining sense. It was just that I have, I guess because I do a lot of divorce work, so I'm talking to people who are going through the worst part of mm-hmm. their life, at least that that, and so what it takes to get the advice through to people can be very different, and sometimes I have to like switch gears oh, and yes. be soft or what, you know, and she's like, you talk to women. We
1: meet people where they are.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, so I started thinking about that. I'm like, oh, maybe. Okay. But yeah, the the the, the work from home thing has been an interesting experience too.
1: You know, um, with everything kind of going on right now, you know, one thing we, and we did, we encountered it all through Mexico and Central America were riots and protests. It's part of life there. It's not even all that big a deal. In fact, some of the riots and protests will give notice To the towns um you know it's one thing that we learned about the cartel that we didn't know actually in guadalajara that sometimes so you'll hear about it on the news and but here we only hear the surface part of it bus blown up in guadalajara what we don't hear here is that those cartels generally call the bus company and let them know to evacuate the bus and and that's a real thing they're actually not always trying to take lives or trying to make a statement um, because a lot of those bus companies are really heavily cartel-owned and oriented, and it's the thing.
0: Right. We're not trying to kill the people. We're just trying to right. We're trying to even the score with the but rival or whatever.
1: Exactly. So all the time we would have to adjust travel plans because, oh, there's going to be roadblocks. Um, there's going to be riots in the next town over. And the roadblocks usually meant that they would charge out-of-town people like five bucks to cross the road. And sometimes it would be like two kids holding a string blocking the road, you know. <laughs> but you pay but it is part of their lives. It's just an everyday part of our, their lives. Now, I'm hoping that here, it doesn't become part of our lives, but I'm not that freaked out by it. I'm not, I'm not all that freaked out by what I'm seeing right now, um, because I think other countries, and even our own in many ways, have been dealing with this forever, and I think it is a normal part of the human condition and a normal part of what countries go through when they're finding themselves, and we're super young. I mean, we're a very young country. I don't well, know why we're surprised.
0: Yeah, not only young, but also possibly the most diverse and and globally connected ever. Yes. Like so like at on the one hand we have these lofty aspirations for what we want to be. I think those lofty aspirations would be much easier to Organize and orient toward if we were a homogenous older culture. We're not. We're not. We're we're not. And so, you know, like, it's good that we have these lofty goals and aspirations for what liberty and equality and justice and all that mean. If we didn't, good Lord, we'd have already burnt this place down a hundred times over. But when you try to, like, when you try to assimilate mm-hmm. constantly we we've never stopped assimilating like we didn't have we haven't had like the uh you know like uh, the moors take spain and then they right. lose spain like that, like, like it, it, and it,
1: we have a, a lot and i don't say this in the generalized sense i say this this way for a lack of better term but we have our struggle is also combined with an extraordinary amount of privilege across the board. Yes. I mean, and I mean that across the board. I think it's disingenuous to say that anyone in this country doesn't have some level of privilege because if you go to any other countries, we (laughs) do. Well,
0: I I mean, I'm going to say this and it's, I say it a little bit sarcastically, but how poor are you if you're filming the riot with your iPhone?
1: Right. Okay. Like,
0: like, I'm not saying your life's been easy and I'm not saying it's been fair, but let's be real. Right. And I, you, you brought an iPhone to a riot.
1: Yes, and I am not, I am, look, like I said, I'm a left-leaning girl, and I proudly wear the SJW title. I am not in any way suggesting that there is not severe oppression that happens in this country to a, an, an unconscionable degree. There is. With that said, I think even the least among us in this country would have a lot over a lot of the people in some of the other countries well, it's like that I, I've been I was, to. That's
0: what I was referencing earlier, like this fella who's going to stand up in Williamson County General Sessions Court and catch two days in jail for driving without a license he was never lawfully allowed to get, he made the choice knowing that that was a risk to come here and do the thing, whatever it is he's doing. And he's working for $10 or $12 or $15, whatever it is he's working for, whatever, however many people he's living with and whatever risks he's taking every day. No one went and 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 chained him and brought him here on a on a boat and made him do any of that. It was a choice. And so you gotta ask yourself, you know, hey, what how bad what was you know the push pull here, the magnet that brought someone here and take all those risks and then suffer all those things? Yeah. The 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 Right. Bad bad here is not the same. It's different. It's it's, It's different. And
1: in some ways it is apples and oranges, and so I'm I'm cautious about my own comparison, but globally I don't think what we're going through is all that unique. I don't think that we have the history to draw on in our own country. We're just baby. I mean, I just when I think about the United States, it's a toddler country. We're toddlers, right? Yeah, if you look at
0: yeah, if you look at like the timeline and start to compress it we're we're shit we're 100 years from you not being allowed to vote
1: right right
0: we're what five years from you not being allowed to marry right. the person you wanted to marry
1: and you know my grandfather joined the army because that was his ticket out of puerto rico and at the time it was a deal that this country was making with puerto ricans like join the army and it was a whole thing i i am distressed about what's happening. I am sad for the people of color in this country who are going through what they are. I'm a person of color too, but my experience is different. I am somewhat insulated because of my career, um, because of how I grew up, but I am sad and I'm angry But I also, I have a lot of hope and belief, and I don't mean to sound cheesy in that, but I think this is part of our process. I think it's what we have to go through. Um, I'm not, honestly, and this is horrible to say, I'll probably regret it if I ever run for office, but I'm not all that tripped up about the property damage and the violence and things that are going on because it's still so mild compared to the things that I've seen in other places. And I also think it's part of the process. Um, I don't love co-opting of real issues by, people who might just be co-opting for the sake of it. I don't I don't I don't appreciate that, but I think that's always happened I don't too. like it.
0: I don't like it either way. Like I don't like the suddenly sympathetic, right? The 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 virtue signaling among I'll say it, people like me who oh, oh now I wow, I've been so wrong for so long. Please accept my apologies. I don't much like that either. Well and
1: that doesn't solve much.
0: Right. And so I wish people wouldn't um, superficially virtue signal. Um, and I also wish people wouldn't burn shit down.
1: All that. I mean, I get that. I do. Um, you know, there's a small part of me that honestly, and I'm not talking about reality, but that in my head is like, burn it all down. It's time. You <laughs> know, we need to start fresh. There's, and then what? Right. Uh, yeah. But then there's also a reasonable part of me that realizes that is an emotional reaction that I have. But I, I don't think... When you talk about virtue signaling, I kind of agree. I mean, I've seen it on on all sides of things. At the same time, I think that a lot of people, let's say situated like you, a white man, decent job, I think that there is there is something good. You don't
0: get more privilege than me.
1: Well, but I think there is something good about, I want it to come from the right place, but about saying, you know, I have privilege, I have these things, even even if it does seem a little spontaneous. And I, I, I see that, right, uh, convenient, that's a, it's a good word. And I do see that and I want it backed up by more, I do. But I do think that, okay, this is, maybe I'm getting off track, but here's the best example. When I saw the police who kneeled with protesters, I had a dual thought about that. On the one hand, my knee jerk, maybe the public defender in me, maybe the activist in me said that is a PR stunt and I don't want it you can't go out there and be violent against underprivileged communities and treat them differently and do all these things and then kneel because it keeps tensions down and it's the right photo op. At the same time, I kind of appreciate that that's the right photo op. Right. That that I do think that's a even step. Even if you're
0: not even if your heart's not 100% in it, you still did it.
1: Right. And the fact that you recognize that that is the message you should be sending. Right. That I think that's a yeah, step. Yeah,
0: the, the 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 upshot to all of this is we are we we can now more clearly than ever maybe identify the real shitbags, because nobody is saying, "Hey, that's the way it is. That's the way it's gonna be. Live with it. Get over it. Tough shit." Like only the only the like yes. in, only the insane. Although there's a lot of them. There's there's more than there should be. There's but, a lot but, of them. But but like they're now we now we can now see the edge, like that. Okay, if you're over there saying. Th- that there's no problem here. Move along. This will pass, and it'll go back to the way it was. If that's where you are, okay. Thanks for thanks for right. because beyond here there are dragons, right? Like that's the edge of the earth. Um, so there's that. No one is no one is advocating for oppression. And, and I mean, a
1: few are. There's a few out there's there. There's some. Yeah. There's some. There's, yeah, there's, there. some. there's right. some. I, when
0: I say no one. I mean. Like,
1: but the general.
0: The zeitge- Everybody wants to do better,
1: right? I think that I think that's the zeitgeist. I think people are trying to figure out what that means, but I think, as a general matter, people are wanting to do better. But I do think that as criminal defense lawyers, we have we have a very unique perspective here. I think we have a unique offering because we very much have our feet in both worlds, very much so. I mean, I, there are a few professions out there that I think have a better handle on the actual plight of those with lower economic stability and people of color yeah, i mean they, we see it.
0: it you i could probably know better what it's like to be poor and oppressed only if i were
1: right or exactly. oppressed
0: because i do we see it play out yeah, i we're do i am in the courtroom homes. when they take my client or yours away for some and bullshit we see reason. the
1: person who has money get out yep only because they could afford to get out. Yeah. And being nothing different, I mean, I, how many times have we seen two people charge with the same thing, but one can afford a bond and one can, and that's the only distinction between whether right. they're in jail or not. And if you're on bond, we all know you get better offers. It is harder to put you back yep. in jail. And you,
0: and you don't lose your job or your apartment right. or your car in the Your meantime. life
1: isn't exploded because you couldn't come up with $1,000 right. to get yourself out. So we see that, and that's a real, real reality. Um, you know, when i That's one thing that does get me incensed when I hear people kind of outside the system say that there's no difference, that there is no difference in how our system that's treats. That's naive. That's ridiculous. Now, I would argue that wealth has... And I know that they're intertwined, but I would say that economic status is as much an issue as anything else um, in how our system plays out. You know, I think that black, white, Puerto Rican... If you're
0: poor, it sucks. If
1: you're poor, it sucks. And yeah. I think our system... It doesn't is-
0: suck for... it. I, I can't speak... I, I don't know whether it sucks more to be poor and black or poor and white or poor and Puerto Rican. But I do know this. At the courthouse, it sucks to be poor. Yes. And And I'm not sure that the difference between... Poor black, poor white, poor Puerto Rican, poor whatever, is measurable in a way that is huge.
1: And I think that that may be location dependent. You know, oh, yeah. I I'm, think yeah. poor black in a country town means something different than it does yeah. in Nashville, Tennessee. Right. Um, you know, but I think that we have our feet in that. We're in it. We see it, and we can't deny it. I mean, I, c- I cannot deny it because it happens to my own clients. What. I think the other side of that is is we also tend to fly in the circles of people in power. Yep. I mean, you know, I, I had a party. We had our big going away party. And Karen and I have been known for our parties at my house. And the main reason I've been criticized for this, but I will do it again and again, is that I invite everybody. I invite my clients. I invite judges. I invite politicians. <laughs> I invite must other be lawyers. Interesting. It is a blast every single time. Get them all
0: liquored up and.
1: And I kid you not that I had a party. and This is controversial. I get it, but I kid you not. I don't invite all my clients. For <laughs> <There's> a select, <laughs> okay. select, yeah, let's group, be clear. And I don't invite all the judges and lawyers, but there's an, a cross section. And there was a party I had where I had somebody who had been charged with murder, but whose case had been dismissed, sitting on my patio, not knowing, nobody knew, and I never told anybody. But with the same judge who dismiss their case. Um, and so we are intersectional that way. Yeah, Which to me means that we have a really strong voice and an opportunity to be heard among people who need to hear it.
0: Yeah, because we can travel in both circles.
1: Right, and we right? do travel in both circles. And I can challenge clients on maybe it's not about this in a way that other people can't. And I can tell the powers that be it is about this right. in a way that maybe other people can't. So is that
0: is that what you think? maybe not our first and highest responsibility in these moments, but is that something you would challenge everyone who does what we do? Use your access to use what you see to tell the people that you also know who can help change it.
1: What I wish was happening, I actually said this recently, um, even if it's not just the whole defense bar, because, okay, there's a little bit, even though we get along pretty well, I actually think in criminal law, adversarial system, we all managed to get along better than in a lot of other areas of law. I mean, there are a lot of DAs I go have beers with and who I call good friends. Yeah. Um, and
0: clients sometimes get confused by that. but Right.
1: But we know what we're doing, and I also know that sometimes that works well for my clients as well. You know, there's yes. trust. Right. Um, and if you, these DAs know I'm not going to lie to them, so when I tell them something, with one exception now, and this is where I was thinking about this. Let's say it's not the whole defense bar, but I wish that prosecutors were having conversations with their former colleagues who have become defense lawyers. I think it would be eye-opening.
0: Yeah, Uh, I sat down with two lawyers a couple weeks ago who started their careers as prosecutors and are now both in criminal defense.
1: Well, a, a friend of mine who did that posted on his Twitter the other day, and he said, I had no idea until I became a defense lawyer how much cops lied. I had no idea. I was totally blinded by my position. And it got me to thinking, though. You know, I'm someone who fights aggressively, but I also have—I believe this—a strong reputation for my integrity. I don't lie. I, I, there's a lot of things I won't say, but, <laughs> right. but when it comes to representing people, I don't lie. But so then, why, if you know that, and I know some of these prosecutors know this—they've—you've worked with me forever. You know I don't lie. Why are you not believing me?
0: When I tell you your cop's lying. When
1: I tell you your cop's lying, because I don't say it about everyone. Right. When I tell you this report is crap. Right. I need you to, to right. apply I, that I integrity spent, across the board. Yeah,
0: I've spent 30 years trying to make sure that when I tell a prosecutor I'll try this case, that they understand what I'm telling them. Right. Like, you have problems. You know, this is not a let's make a deal day. This is a you, you, you've got problems. I'm not just here shooting from the hip you know blow hard you know foghorn leghorn well i'll just try that case right. no not every case should be tried that's not a that's not a, a a good service to every client so when i say i'll try this case they sh- i hope that they think uh oh what do we have here what's the problem
1: here but i think that is part of our responsibility and i think it's part of theirs i think that prosecutors off the record off outside the courtroom should be seeking our opinion more about what affects their jobs every day. And I think we should be pushing those conversations more. I think we should be doing more of the, let's go have a beer and talk about this. Uh, let's get out of the courtroom. You probably
0: weren't around, but we used to do that at the Gerst house.
1: Now when I was a public defender, yes, the Gerst house, exactly, I was about to, it's funny, I was about to say <laughs> that in Riverfront Tavern. Back when I was a public defender, I actually thought, I mean, and I think things have changed good and bad, um, You know, uh, but I think we used to have maybe more of those conversations when we were all baby lawyers. I think as we've all gotten older and a little more jaded in both of our sides of things that it's been harder to have those conversations well
0: and you get some you get some bad blood you know like if you like if you go to if someone disappoints you like if you genuinely believe this shouldn't be happening and the other lawyer is just absolutely committed to their position you know it 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 can fracture that relationship in a way that's difficult to
1: That's totally true. have a beer. That's right? completely true. It's hard for me example if I have a prosecutor who hasn't listened to me and I know injustice is happening and yeah. they just can't listen it mind, is hard to I don't have mind that beer.
0: I don't mind trading haymakers in the courtroom. That's not the problem. Like I can I can literally walk out of the courtroom and be like, "How's your kid?" you know, uh, whatever. Absolutely. It's when it's when you have that strong sense that, like, this shouldn't be happening. But I
1: think we know something that the general public doesn't. Because I think right now there's a lot of focus on cops. And, okay, maybe there should be. I mean, there's there's definitely things happening with police departments. And we are getting one one-thousandth of that with what happens to be on videotape. And I always think about that. I think about the 10,000 cases I have where there's not a video. Right. And then the one where there is. That didn't mean it didn't happen in those other 9,999. But... I think that we are f- so focused on the police now that the general public doesn't realize that it's really the prosecutors that empower that or not.
0: I keep threatening to tell this story, and I'm not going to do it today, but the my first jury trial was at the public defender's office. I second chaired a case, and it was, to this day, the single greatest travesty of injustice that I have observed personally ever happen in or out of a courtroom. A kid that shouldn't have gone, shouldn't have been charged, served two and a half years in prison before the Court of Criminal Appeals finally got around to saying enough already, reversed and dismissed. Wow. Um, and um, yes, because the failure, the all the fail safes that are supposed to operate in the system, in that case, they all failed. The detective had the crime solved without implicating the person who became my client. He shouldn't have charged him. He shouldn't have taken that case to the DA. The DA should have looked at the detective and said, you you literally have a confession that explains the entire crime and exonerates this person. What are, why are you bringing me this? The, 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 the prosecutor should have said, please go away.
1: If we want change, we have to demand this of our prosecutors. Yeah.
0: The judge should have said to the prosecutor at the end of the prosecution's proof, dismissed don't do that again. He didn't. The jury should have said to the judge and the prosecutor, what have you done here? We listened to the confession of the co-defendant. It is 100%. The jury didn't. The jury convicted him. It it didn't. He served two and a half years before the Court of Criminal Appeals got around to fixing that. I'd love to be able to find him now. That was 1995.
1: Well, and the thing is, is what we know, we talk about the system being imbalanced, but we know it's imbalanced. I mean, we know it is. These police officers, and I'm not bashing the police. Frankly, there's some great police officers out there. Some have come to my rescue on a couple of occasions. But what I see is them framing things and spinning things and... Altering things, and I have found myself multiple times suggesting they're mistaken instead of suggesting what I know, which is that they're lying, because the judge will be friendlier to that suggestion, because a jury will be friendlier to that suggestion. How many
0: times have you watched a DUI stop that was directed, produced, and narrated by officer friendly, and you're like, (laughs) you just you know you you know that this is not an investigation. Mm -hmm. This is, this is exhibit A and the police officer has long ago decided to make this arrest. We are no longer in this video right. in real time wondering whether a crime has occurred. This police officer went into prosecution mode 30 minutes ago.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I tell clients all the time because I'm sure you get it all the time. Should I do the field sobriety test? Should I do them? and i always have that one client who's who says well i got out of a dui at one point okay maybe you're yeah the- you
0: and i don't get the phone call about the person who didn't no. get arrested and
1: okay maybe you're the unicorn but i my belief is that the moment that they are asking you if you will take you're being, do, being you're arrested already, either way it's happening. <laughs> you're being it's arrested
0: happening. but if you step out of the car sir they're not you're not technically under arrest but you're gonna be
1: but if you want to protect our system and if you want it to play out fairly, the prosecutors are the ones who have to say, "I know this cop's lying," or recognize it on the stand. Well, the way we all did, we all sat there and heard him lie. We all saw that the report didn't match up with his testimony. It is incumbent upon the prosecutor to stop the process right then, yep. and they don't do it. Time well, it after takes time. a lot
0: more courage to, and that's ultimately what I realized about the trial. That nearly, I literally almost turned in my law license and said, "I don't care what I have to do." To make a living this ain't it. Um, I I realized over time that for the detective to to tell the prosecutor there's nothing here was a risk. Mm -hmm. Much easier for the detective to forward the file and say hey you, you know you want to charge this? Likewise for the prosecutor. Much easier for the prosecutor to say hell yeah we'll throw it up for a jury and see what happens than for the prosecutor to tell a victim right. or, a vic- you know, we're not prosecuting that case. Much easier, likewise, for the judge to say, I'll let the jury decide, even though, because the judge has to run for election, Yes. right? So much easier for that judge to not be the judge who got the story written about him or her that said, judge dismisses case on technicality, because that's how the story would be written. That's not a great way to run a reelection campaign. It would have required great courage for that judge, who was a great judge. It would have required great courage for that judge to tell that prosecutor, your case is nothing, it's dismissed.
1: And even on that, and among things I probably shouldn't say, but how many times have we seen a judge start out great? I mean, really doing it? A stellar job right. up there just making the right calls and, then, and making us do the and legal then about arguments.
0: Five years they later get beaten
1: down by the media. Right. A case goes wrong, somebody re offends, somebody gets hurt and somebody out on bond sudden,
0: does something that stupid people do.
1: And all of a sudden, it stops becoming about right and wrong, and it starts becoming about, oh, but what if that happens?
0: Yeah, I, I try to explain that phenomenon to clients this way. They're like, why can't I get this resolved this way? Why can't I? And I'm like, because no prosecutor ever to walks out of the courthouse and have one of the local reporters stick a microphone in their face and say, you had a chance to put so-and-so in jail, but you didn't. Why didn't you? And now he or she has gone and done this. Well, does that happen once in a while? Right. Is that in the mind of a district attorney, I've never been a prosecutor, but I would think it is.
1: Right. What if I dismiss this domestic assault case? And then next week. And then the next week, right. But you know, I'll tell you that this is, this is one of my frustrations. Um, One of the greatest prides of my life in my career was this one particular case I had, and it was a photo lineup case. It was an ID case. And this girl had picked my guy out of this lineup twice. But when I watched the video to that lineup, everything about it was terrible. Everything about it was terrible, and I was really stressing about this because was it okay, a photo lineup or yes, in person. It's okay. a photo lineup, um, and it was actually funny. The first time they showed her the photo array, she it was all color, and she didn't pick out the guy. So they showed it to her a second time, all in black and white, same photo array, and now she picks out the guy. So the only thing that had changed was the quality got worse, and time went later, further away. So from it wasn't the like
0: ten minutes later; it was no,
1: like two three weeks later. Oh boy! Um, and they were this was their only. This is what they were going forward on.
0: I Eyewitness. I
1: was this photo lineup, pick out. So I actually went to a couple of lawyers who were my mentors, Rich McGee and Lisa Naylor, brilliant gods in the criminal defense field. And Lisa told me to take a risk. She said, why don't you ask one of the other police detectives, somebody who's been around a long time, to look at this photo lineup video with you and give their opinion. I'm like, you want me to ask another active police officer? To
0: second guess and grade the paperwork.
1: Right. And she said, just try it. Because especially the particular judge we're in front of is actually a brilliant legal mind, but known to be a, a more difficult judge sometimes to practice in front of. And Lisa said, if you can get a cop to honestly tell you that this procedure is bad, that will go a long way with this judge. A lot further than you'll get with calling in some independent expert. Okay. So I called this other police detective and I couldn't believe it when he said yes. I said, can you just come over to my office and look at this video? I'm not, gonna, not gonna hold you anything. I'm not gonna give you my opinion on it. I just want you to look and tell me if in your 25 years of experience, if you think that this was appropriately done. And this detective came over and he saw totally different things than I saw. He actually, right. the things that I saw wrong, he thought were fine, but he found different things that he thought were totally screwed up. And I looked at him and I said, am I gonna be able to get you on the stand to say that? And he's like i'm not an expert i'm like you've been a police detective for 25 years you're at least as
0: much of an expert as the guy that did the lineup
1: right and he said (laughs) yes and that photo id got suppressed by that judge and then the state appealed it went to the court of appeals and the first question by the appellate court was Miss Eaton, how did you get an active cop to testify basically against a cop to say that was a bad lineup and my answer was as honest i just asked him now why can't we do that all the time why am i spending tons on experts when I should be able to go to another police officer it's called, and say, in, "Is it In right?
0: medicine, it's called peer review.
1: Yes, and you know though that that police detective of 25 years, he got harassed oh, endlessly, yeah. by his peers after the fact. Right? How dare you? Right. And how all dare he you did hold, was tell the truth?
0: How dare you hold one of us to the standards that we were all presumably instructed upon back in the day?
1: Right. And he had nothing to gain by doing this. No,
0: he had nothing to gain at all, and everything to lose. But if the only thing could, he had to gain was the ad, was the respect and admiration of people who do what we do, right? Which isn't worth a nickel and in the locker room. And he didn't care about that, right? And that's not worth a nickel in the locker room.
1: No, but he he was all surprised. He said, "No one's ever asked me before," and you know, I haven't done it since.
0: <laughs> yeah, you played that trick once,
1: right? <laughs> But it, and actually, with of no surprise, they stopped for at least for a while. Stopped videotaping those photo ID. I was, I was,
0: you know, I was going to say, oh my god, they videotaped that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like something that I've ever.
1: Right, but again, right. so in this one instance, I had a video, and I found huge problems. What about the ten thousand right. where I don't have a video? Right, and I think that's where the the validity of these. Now here's complaints. the question:
0: Did you did you take? Did you give the prosecutor in that case a warning that I'm going to call a, a witness and the witness is going to say that there's a problem in this lineup? Absolutely. Right. And none the and nonetheless.
1: Right. And actually, these problems were so in your face that
0: there's no fixing them. There was
1: no and there was no denying them. Right. I mean, when the detective on the second lineup sits someone down and says, "You didn't pick out our guy the first time," so I'm going to give you another shot. Right. Try again. Right. I mean, those were his words. You didn't pick out our guy the first time. How is this an okay lineup? And how dare you proceed with this prosecution right. on with this fact? Right. It this is where our prosecute I mean, they are the, they can be the agents of change, but the only the only people who have a direct path to those prosecutors are us. That's where the criminal defense bar comes in. Because we do have these relationships. And I think if we start really having these conversations, I don't think prosecutors are bad people. Some of my best friends are prosecutors who are doing they're I, trying to do good work. I
0: tell dete- I tell police officers, detectives and prosecutors all the time, do your job so well that my job becomes impossible. That's it. And 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 it and I have a selfish reason for saying that. I live here. I want the streets to be safe, the crimes to be solved. I, that's the world I want to live in. Right? Right? But I also have to live in a world where the the system works with imperfect but adequate reliability and and validity so please step up your game right make my job here very hard and you know that they hear that
1: and listen, OK, I don't I don't expect you just to dismiss your case because I walked over and told you it was crap. I don't right, expect that. Right. But what I do expect is when I tell you it's crap and I tell you why, I expect you to go back to your office. I expect you to go and pull all the personnel records yourself from right. the officer who I told you lied. And I expect you to make sure that you're not putting somebody on the stand who's going right. to lie.
0: You're vouching for your witness. Right.
1: I shouldn't have to pull his personnel records to prove he's a liar. <laughs> That's That should be something that I expect the state to right. do. But I—so in that way, I feel like the focus—I don't think all cops are bad. I definitely don't think all prosecutors are bad. I think—I don't no, think most all— most
0: are really good. Yes. So are most dentists, most vets, most roofers— Right. —are are out there trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. But the difference is if a roofer steals your money and screws up your roof, okay, that sucks. Right. But if a if a cop who's lazy or crooked— And a prosecutor who's indifferent or playing out the string doesn't intervene, then someone who shouldn't have gone to prison
1: goes to prison. And it's up to, it's, it's part of why I honestly am continuing to have a little bit of difficulty with part of my career, but it's when the people who are in the system really take the courageous steps to apply the system equally. And we're just not all doing it. And I mean the criminal defense bar too. I mean, we're just not all doing it, and we all know it. And now, our, uh, granted, for I, I have my own perspective as a criminal defense lawyer, and I think a lot of the cards are stacked against us, and we're not given the resources, and we're not paid enough on appointed cases to put in the time, but I have to ha- have really deep talks with myself about which cases I'm acting with urgency on versus which ones I'm not, and which clients I'm really putting that all in for, and which ones I'm not, and ask myself why. And I think we have to ask ourselves those questions, too. But I also have to ask myself, what broke down for me that I'm not willing to call a prosecutor and say, I need to talk to you and I need you to listen to me? Because there are things that broke down. And some of it is just disappointment and being jaded over the years by the things that have happened. One of those things drove me out of the country. Right. <laughs> <I> mean, you <laughs> right. know. Um, but but- you, can't
0: take two, you can't take two years to—, to- you can't take two years off because one case went bad again.
1: Right, I can't. <laughs> and I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm a little better equipped now. Right. But um, I know I'm, I'm talking your ear off. But uh, it's... No, no, um, this
0: has been awesome. All right.
1: I've had a really good time.
0: I, I did not know what to expect other than a great story. And I more than got it. So, Sonny, tell people how to find you because that's what we're doing here.
1: Okay. I can be found a lot of different ways. It depends on what you're looking for. Right. Um, my law practice has two different, actually has like 12 different website addresses, but we'll go with Sunny Eaton Law. It's okay. just S-U-N-N-Y-E-A-T-O-N-L-A-W.com. Um, if you're interested in our trip or our travels or seeing any of that, we have a website called vagabroads.com and we're on Instagram as thevagabrods.com. Um, one of the things that I didn't talk a lot about is I now run smaller versions of what we did in Costa Rica for women. We run 10-day oh, nice. overlanding trips where we run a bunch of adventure vehicles and tents and we drive around Costa Rica for 10 days. Uh, you guys
0: must be rock stars among the people who want to do it for 10 days.
1: It's a good time. <laughs> it's a good time. Um, and that company's called Women Overlanding the World and that's what we do. But um, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All
0: right. I, we will probably have to do this again.
1: Absolutely. I would love it.
0: Thank you it. so much. I'm so glad Sonny said yes when I asked her to do this. I really enjoyed the time I spent with her. My takeaway from my discussion with Sonny is that she is brave, and I admire that greatly. My other takeaway is that in this day and age, we have to remember that we can and we should and we must all do better to make our world a better place. If you like what I'm doing here, please click subscribe and follow me on social media. I've got the handle Ready for Trial on just about all the platforms. Until next time, this is Dana McClendon, and this has been Ready for Trial.